DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Good morning. Welcome in after a most unusual night. PK, there was baseball, but there was no basketball. Yeah, fortunately there was soccer, though. Not at night. Well, depending on where you're living, of course. <laughs> where we live. Oh, okay. Euros in the afternoon. I know, baseball but I was night. breaking down Wednesday's Seattle game. See what we got. So it's now... Jazz are done, so really focusing my attention. Well, what do you what do you think about RSL and the Sounders Wednesday night? It's going to be a hell of a pitch. What? <laughs> yeah, a hell of a pitch. Yeah, <laughs> they play on turf in Seattle. Right. Okay. He's throwing out the first pitch. All right. <laughs> Enough of your nonsense. Uh, enjoy your time up in Seattle. I'm not going to Seattle. Well, the next time you go there, enjoy Broadcast it. out of the studio. Oh. Well, I hope for the first time you walk back in. It'll be emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Listen to the promos closely, people. Listen closely. All right. Speaking of uh, David Locke being emotional, going into the arena on the road with the Clippers and all that, Donovan Mitchell, emotional after the game. And in his Friday media availability after the loss... He went into, uh, and I thought it was a, a good deal. I don't know if the Ox can play some of it or all of it here, but uh, it happened last year. It happened again this year. He's going to be thinking about it when he goes to the grocery store. He's going to be mad about it when he's watching the playoffs. Donovan Mitchell, all sorts of fired up after the loss. This hurts more than last year because we were up again and lost like again. And that, that, this, this, it's going to eat at me for a long time watching the Lake, uh, like the Clippers and the uh, Suns play in the conference finals and even watching the finals. Like this was, we made it, had an incredible regular season, we made so many pushes and we continued to fight. But man, like this is going to eat at me. When I, even when I go to the grocery store, I'm going to be thinking about this. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is, wow. There it is. Donovan Mitchell. Well, with the kind of money you're going to be making on this next deal, uh, go ahead and send somebody to the grocery store. <laughs> you can have the groceries delivered. Yes. Am I ever going to run into a jazz player in a grocery store again? <laughs> Used to. That's how one of the reasons I found out that Brian Russell was uh, lived literally up the street. Yeah, but it's a different era. The yeah. money's gotten bigger. Grocery stores, the grocery business has changed. So many neighbors, and they know what I do for a living, they told me, I saw Brian Russell. I saw Brian Russell at the bagel shop. I saw Brian Russell getting gas. I saw Brian Russell at the food store. And so I put two and two together, and then I end up doing the story on Brian Russell and actually spent time at his house, and it was less than a mile away. So I knew he lived in the area because so many people had said so. And then I actually had to go to his house. It's funny how that story worked out, the Tribune, when they sent me there. And of all the people, Brian Russell, because I had the the L.A. connection when he lived two hours away from where I live. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he ends up living two minutes away. Because uh, he, the Jazz PR said, uh, Russell wants to talk to you. Uh, meet him at his house today at 2 o'clock. And they gave me the address. And, I mean, I literally could have walked. It was sort of funny. Valley's a pretty big spot here. and Well, it's a it's a different deal now. It's, uh, you know, even when it comes to groceries, I mean, they're getting at least one, if not two meals a day at the facility, and they don't have to interact. They're in that building. It's more a campus than it is a building, and it's a big chunk of their life. And uh, yeah. But 
for all that, you know, you're you're much less likely to run into people used to run into Carl Malone at the Judge Cafe. Everybody knew he ate there. And so there's a lot less of that going on. Uh, and it makes it maybe a little harder to identify with them. You don't feel like you're around them. You don't see them. But you listen to Donovan there and you're like, I know exactly how he feels. Because it's how a lot of jazz fans felt. You know, it, it's it's like you were saying yesterday. It comes to a stop so quickly, just slamming on the brakes. And you could hear that in Donovan's voice right there. But most NBA stars have to go through a lot of that before they win it all. If they win it all. You listed a bunch of MVPs and Hall of Famers yesterday who never won it all. They, they paid the price and did the suffering, but didn't get to hoist the trophy. Oh, no. Steve Nash, no. Allen Iverson, Stockton and Malone, Reggie Miller, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing. Who have I left out? <laughs> That's a pretty good list. And I sort of think that list is going to grow. Because? Because if they end up with these super teams, it's going to be harder than ever to win it. Well, unless all those players are going to super teams. I mean, Gary Payton and Carl Malone went but to the Lakers. But not all of the super – they, they can't. All those players can't go to the same team. They just can't. Right, but the two or three super teams pass it around, and the super teams last two or three years. Right, I, but I think there's going to be a lot of quality players. The list, right now, today, Damian Lillard looks like he's going to be on that list. Yeah, the list has to grow. It can't shrink, right? So if they're, those players were all kind of in the 1990 to 2010 window, I guess. And with Nash. Combo's got a shot, but he's who knows if he get it. But I, I would guess that he doesn't get it. And so, although he's such a young pup, they've he's all got still got a chance. Lillard's a good call there because Lillard is older than Antetokounmpo and doesn't appear to be nearly as close. Was team, yeah, right. So it's not a. I don't. To me, it's getting less of a, uh, a knock against these stigmas. A nice word too against these guys. But Mitchell, you know, he's still young enough. He's got the great thing about Mitchell, man, is sit back and enjoy the ride is that he's got an opportunity. If you're a fan, most of our listeners are, to think that, man, he's going to get this, have an opportunity, and you can you can be there whether you're here literally in the building or you're watching at home. You're going to be along for the ride. And I love how he takes these things hard. I don't just like it. I mean, I love it. Because that's an investment, and if you're driven like that, because sometimes I wonder, you know, these guys, they make such enormous amount, life-changing money to play a friggin' game of basketball, and how hard can it be? And maybe if it stings for a day or two, fine, but I want it to sting longer than that, man. I want, because I think the great ones, and we can go to Kobe as a, as a recent example of man, that this isn't going to happen again. And, <laughs> and so that's what you need. It's got to burn because what else is burned? Are you going to burn for financial freedom? Well, you already no. got that. Nope. Nope. It's just got to be about the sheer joy of uh, competing, winning, lifting the trophy, and feeling the confetti rain down. And knowing that that guy across from me is awesome, and I got him. And that's really what it comes down to. By the time, the way the West is stacked... And some teams could say it in the first round. Mm, the Jazz really can't. Memphis wasn't awesome. You know, they, they were young and the roster wasn't complete. And, you know, they are, they're going to have to make good decisions, but the arrow ought to be up for them. But there yeah. were plenty of good. You know, that, that Dallas Clipper series, 
man, if you knock the Mavericks out, you can look over at Luka Doncic and say, he's awesome. Man, we got him. We got him. Then they're probably saying the same thing about you know, the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and we got him. So when did the Jazz get to say that about other people? But listening to Donovan and watching Donovan play and not be 100%, he was really good. And there's one thing he does really well that was taken away from him by injury, and that should make him a lot easier to defend. And then you look at his final stats, and there was nothing about defending him that was easy. But the explosiveness was gone. His ability to get to the hoop and jump over people, gone. And you ought to be able to, you think, crowd him and take away some of those jumpers. He ended up with 39 points. It really underlines the fact that he's got it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Got it. And you may have thought that coming out of the bubble, right? And you've been saying it before this playoff series. But if you had any doubt, watching him on one leg do that, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's got it. Right. And so to say that that fifty in the bubble was a fluke, and I think we're going to be seeing more fifty-point playoff games out of him, especially because he's going to be pissed off because he's not going to want to go through next year what he went through this year and last year. And it doesn't mean he'll win it all, but you know he'll get fifty trying. Yeah, I think it has to burn. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK. We got more with the Jazz coming up with Steve Cleveland. Uh, Next, Bob Casper putting a wrap on the U.S. Open, looking ahead to the British Open, and the best the world of golf has to offer. That's next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Bob Casper, join us late in the show Monday to put a wrap on the U.S. Open and look ahead to the British Open. Here's Bob. Bob, good morning. Good morning. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. John Rahm, you had the first pick. You took John Rahm. He won the tournament. Although I have to say, coming down the stretch with a bunch of uh, golfers still in the hunt there on uh, on Sunday, I did the math, and it looked like you had us even if John Rahm didn't win. <laughs> well, you know, I had uh, what I had, Rahm and Shoffley and DJ. Yeah, so, they yeah. were all in the top yeah. top fifteen or so. Yeah, I was uh, I was sunk by Patrick Reed. I was four shots behind you and not going to catch you. And PK yeah. was sunk when Victor Hovland pulled out of the tournament and withdrew. That yes, he was hit him with a stand big in the eye. Yeah, stand in the eye. Gary Woodland didn't help yeah. him. Brooks Kepka almost bailed you out though. PK, he stayed yeah. in the hunt there for a while. But why did Colin Morikawa and Brooks Kepka fade, along with uh, a few other guys? And why did John Rahm accelerate through the finish line with the putts at 17 and 18? You know, John Rahm was interesting because um, out of the last, what, uh, I think they said six groups, so the last 12 players, um, John Rahm was the only guy that didn't shoot over par in the final nine holes. And uh, he ended up shooting two under par. Um, you know, it, it comes down to it comes down to who is able to play well enough and make some putts in some key situations. And you know, he just kept uh, he he just kept playing playing well, hitting the fairway, hitting the green, 
And um, and if he didn't hit the fairway, you know, he was able to extract it and get it on the green. And then and then it just came down to those final two putts, a 24-footer and an 18-footer uh, on the 17th and 18th holes that, that allowed him to pass up and pass by Louis Oosthuizen. So, um, you know, a U.S. Open is interesting because it stresses you out to the max as far as a player is concerned. Um, it, it requires you to hit fairways. It requires you to hit greens. Um, it requires you to navigate um, putting on on the on the on, you know on the greens. And um, John Rahm was the guy who was able to do it the best. And that's what they're trying to do at the USGA with the U.S. Open. Is they're trying to identify the best um, player of the week, and he becomes the champion. And that's what's John Rahm. So as far as his place in the game, where does Rom go from here? Well, you know, that's, that's up to him. Uh, he just won his first major. He's won, uh, he won a, um, uh, a playoff event last fall against Dustin Johnson. Um, and he's, you know, he's won almost, what, about 10 times now. And his first win was in 2017. So we're looking in, in, uh, you know, in just a, a short period of time, he's, uh, he's really kind of pushed the envelope and getting, getting up to about 10 wins. And now he has a major and, you know, I think he's a guy that can probably get to 20 wins, which is kind of the benchmark now. That's when you, when you become a, um, a lifetime member of the tour and you don't have to qualify any longer. You can play every event, any event that you want to play. And, um, and here he is, you know, he's number three in the world starting the week. Um, I, I haven't looked to see if he got to number one, but, you know, he's right up there as one of the elite top echelon players in the game. You surprised he finally got it together, or this was the time? You you picked him, so you kind of felt it was coming, I guess. Yeah, I, I think it was the time, DJ. And I, and the reason I think that is because, you know, that, that event uh, memorial was ripped away from him um, with the COVID debacle with the PGA Tour. Um, and I think he had something to prove. Um, he loves the San Diego area. It reminds him of the coast of where he lives in Spain. Um, he, he won his first PGA tour event there at, uh, Torrey Pine South. He, he, um, you know, he proposed to his wife, uh, on the same golf course. Um, and I just, I just think, um, in, in his conversation yesterday after his round was over, he said, when he gets to San Diego, he gets off the plane, he breathes the air. He says, yep, this is my spot. And when you, when you've got that in your mind going into the week, and um, and you come back to a course that you love. I I just felt that he was the guy that you had to go after. Did anybody do anything in this tournament that surprised you? Um, you know, uh, I, Bryson DeChambeau shooting forty four on the back nine that surprised me. Um, he was right there in the mix of it. Had a chance to win. Um, was uh, tied for the lead or maybe one shot back. And what he what he did on the back nine was crazy. Um, two bogeys, a double bogey, and a quadruple bogey on the 17th hole, with uh, with a pitch shot that uh, basically hit a hosel rocket. He shanked it and uh, made an eight on the 17th hole. So that was very surprising to me. The other surprising thing was Brooks Kepka coming down the stretch, making two bogeys on the 16th and the 18th hole, and um, and not. 
I, I mean, he was four under at the time. The 18th hole was a perfect hole for him to to have an opportunity to make a birdie, get in the clubhouse at four or five under par, and not being able to get it done. So that was also surprising to me. So they've gone to Torrey Pines twice now and ended up with two really good tournaments. Does this become, oh, yeah. I mean, they don't have a true rotation, but they kind of semi have a rotation. Is this, is this in it now? You know, I think it is. Um, it's uh, the, the tournaments that they've had there with Tiger and Rock Immediate and, and now with John Rahm, I think, like you said, have been fantastic. Um, it's all come down to the final hole and a birdie putt on the final hole to one tie for the win, one end up winning the golf tournament. And that's what you want. You want that excitement. You want, um, you want that uh, intenseness um, in, in crowning the champion in a USGA event. We talked with John Bodenhammer, who is the, dir- the director of championships with the USGA this last week on the show. And uh, there's kind of been rumor going around that they're going to get away from public courses and go to the, you know, the elite um, country clubs um, and places that that are known um, for uh, great championships in the game. And he said that's absolutely false. They'll always have public courses as parts of the game. Um, and I think this one will be one that you're going to see uh, probably in another 10 years or so um, as as an open championship venue again. Is that more to try to make a connection with the average fan? I think it, you're exactly right, PK. Um, you know, they've done it quite a few times. They did it at Aaron Hills. They did it at Chambers Bay. They did, they've done it now at, at Torrey Pines. And I think, you know, uh, public golf courses, for people to be able to play public, you know, um, Pebble Beach is another one. For people to play public golf courses and say, hey, I played on the course where they played the U.S. Open, I, it's, it's a huge connection. And the USGA is all about promoting the game and growing the game, uh, along with other um, bodies in the, in the game of golf. You know, um, we want to grow this game and make it more popular. And I think by playing it on public courses, that's exactly what it's doing. So as we look ahead to the uh, British Open, is there anybody who played well in this who kind of sets the table or the course is so different, the conditions are so different, uh, just throw everything out? Yeah, it's, you know, the British Open is a different, is a different animal, um, especially where they're playing this year. They're playing at Royal St. George's. And, um, and if the golf course is like um, it's been in the past, this is a golf tournament and a course that requires a lot of kind of luck as far as bounces are concerned. Um, and that's kind of the way you play over there in, in Britain is um, you require, you, you bounce the ball in. Um, and, and this one's a, this one, you'll, I don't know that you'll see a top player. Those guys will contend, but you'll see a lot of, um, interesting players that win this championship and uh, especially at this golf course. So it's not my favorite golf course on the road that they have there. Um, you know, I like you know, the St. Andrews and the Carnoustie's and, and those require a certain type of champion. This one is kind of an open free for all. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. What do you think of the skill is the most necessary ingredient of the skill that, re- that allows you 
or requires you to make those putts, say like 17 and 18, to walk off as a winner? You know, um, it all comes down to uh, allowing yourself to do it. It, it's, golf is such a mental game that, um, that, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you get in the hunt, uh, you have an opportunity to win. Um, you put a little bit more pressure on yourself to make putts because face it, putting is where you score and, um, and, and putting is what allows you to win a golf tournament. If you're a great ball striker, you got to be a great putter to win, um, a U.S. Open championship. Um, and the other thing is being familiar or being very comfortable on the green surfaces that you're putting on. Um, that's that surface is what John Rahm has grown up on. Anybody that that is living in California, you, we've grown up on playing on Poana greens, and that's what those greens are. Um, you understand the bumps and and how how they roll um, and all that kind of thing. Those those putts that he made were not easy putts. Um, you know, the one from 24 feet probably broke about three or four feet left to right, and he buried it right in the center. And then the one in on, on 18 probably broke about two or three feet left to right, um, and he made it right in the center. Uh, after having made the one on 17, it was very natural um, it, for him to make the one on on 18 because he had just come off, come off seeing how that ball broke and how it went in the hole. So a lot of it's visualization, but a lot of it's, it's, it's mental capacity and uh, kept his head still on both of those putts, um, stayed in his posture after he stroked the putts, didn't stand up or anything. He just moved his head and watched the ball roll down the line, and it went right. Both of them went right in the center. So it's, it's basically allowing yourself to make putts in that situation and not pushing yourself to make putts. So was he the best player not to win a major? And if so, who does that uh, crown pass to? Um, you know, uh, he was, I, I think he was, um, I'll tell you who's, who's pretty close at the top of that list is probably Tony right now. Tony Finau best. He's a, he's the best player not to win multiple events and not to win a major. He's finished, um, uh, he's finished top 10, you know, eight or nine times now in major championships. Um, and, a, and a few of them in the top five, but, um, the other one is Xander Shoffley. Xander Shoffley now has played in, um, what, five uh, U.S. Open championships. And I think he, up until last, up until just this last week, his best finish or his worst, his worst finish in, in four going into this last week was a tie for six. And, and he was right there again, had an opportunity again. And, uh, um, so, He's a guy that I, he's a guy that you'll see win a U.S. Open. He's that good of a player, um, and he might be the guy just you know coming off a second at uh, the Masters. Um, he's he's the guy I think that's carrying the torch for that as far as the best player not to win a major. How do you think Tony's game shapes up at the British? Tony likes the British. You know, the first time he played in the British, he had a top ten. Um, this will be a this will be a good one for him, and I I think um, he, he, you know, he struggled with his game this week. Um, I I watched him from the get go, and he was missing fairways both sides. Um, he was not hitting any greens, um, and uh, and he was and he pushed himself. It was pushing himself with the putter to keep up, 
And when you're not hitting fairways or greens, you have a difficult time. So uh, I think Tony will probably work extremely hard over the next month, and he will be ready to play at the British Open, and I think it will be a good one for him. Bob, as always, we appreciate it. Good call on John Rom out of the gate, but you had yourself covered with three solid players, so you're going to win either way. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Bob. Take care. There's Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio. Hear him Saturday mornings from 6 to 9 with Brian Taylor on Real Golf Radio here on the Zone Sports Network. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, coming up next. The Jazz. What do they have to change? Where did it go wrong? What do they have to fix to go further in the playoffs next year? That's next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to check in with our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. He joined us late in yesterday's show with his take on how it all went wrong and what the Jazz can change going forward. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. Steve, the Jazz have been beaten, and Utah, the great state of Utah, is not happy about it. People are in a bitter mood. (laughs) Do you have anything wise to say to them? Well, uh, I would say this, that uh, it, it was obvious that, like a lot of teams, uh, you know, this time of the year, guys are hurt. And despite the fact that Donovan Mitchell still put up numbers, uh, he, uh, he he wasn't himself. Obviously, Connolly's not playing. And I think that, uh, you know, when, when it's, it's a team that has such great chemistry all year long. And the, the depth, you, know, you take away that kind of depth, and you get on the road, and then you play a team who makes some adjustments, and, uh, and and it was difficult. You know, it's one thing to prepare for a team, but uh, once the Clippers began playing differently and with a different lineup and going small and doing some of those things, there were just some adjustments they really had a hard time getting used to, and especially, as we'll probably talk about, uh, Gobert wasn't nearly as effective when they went small because he had to get away from the rim. He, were, he couldn't protect the rim. He was in a position that uh, I'm sure other teams have done. and uh, But when the heart and soul of your team is playing on one leg and, and Connolly wasn't near to be himself, uh, and, and then a very special effort by the Clippers, it all adds up to an upset. And it really wasn't, you know, if everybody's healthy, I mean, the Clippers are pretty good. They kind of underachieved a lot of the year, didn't play to their capabilities, and they lose their best player and find a gear that they never had all year long. So... Who, who knows why these things happen? But I can understand the depression and, the, and uh, the difficulty of the moment when the Jazz just had an incredible year. And it all comes to a screeching halt. And, I mean, in my wildest thoughts and dreams, I would have never thought that the Jazz could ever lose four games in a row. And when two of them being at home. I mean, you just don't expect that to happen. And that, therein lies... Uh, the uh, emotional wreck that the fans of Utah are in right now. I mean, it's just nothing they ever saw the entire year. Did never anyone ever thought that could possibly happen, and what it did. So I think once you go into athletics as a player, and then like you did, get into coaching, it's just set up 
the way it is, your heart is going to be broken. You're also oh. going to experience all sorts of highs. So you've been there. Uh, as a coach, how long does this stick with you? A while. A while. And I think, I think the best thing early on is just going to, as a coach, just connect to the guy some way. Maybe, maybe it's an email or a text or whatever, and uh, give everybody some time to breathe and, and get, get get through this kind of a remorse that they're going through. But ultimately, uh, in a few weeks, I am sure this group will be contacted and coaching staff will get back together. They'll get through this. I mean, it, it is hard and it's tough, and it'll it'll go away. But I think you know you got to be really positive, and you got to you know you got to look at the things that. Obviously, that organization is going to look at changes. Where can we make some changes? But maybe those things don't happen, or do we have the group we want? I know Conley is on a different contract, so he, he may not be there. Uh, who knows those circumstances? But sometimes it's good to let people just kind of get through it themselves and then come back, get the guys together. And I'm not saying that they're going to get together and practice or anything because that's not what's happening because there's so much to do. But just making sure that, that as a coach, you want to make sure the guys are all right. And let's let's just remember what an amazing year we had. It didn't finish like they wanted, and they'll have a lot of time to assess uh, as a coaching staff what went wrong and what can we do, what could we have done better. I mean, you do all of those things, and but it is going to be painful because they had such a really really good year and uh, had just had all the pieces. But you know, injuries can make a coward of us all. You know, in the sense that you you just can't control them. It's not just you know, the Jazz and the Clippers losing guys. I mean, everybody in the league is down a man, and you got to step up. And to be honest with you, the bench, you know, for the Jazz is not real strong. They they, they certainly didn't play the game. I mean, Clarkson, uh, even Clarkson, though, he had one, you know, he really got hot. I mean, he was he, he had a great year. Uh, it, it, it wasn't enough just with those six guys. And so that's the bench is something that I think they're going to need to take a really strong look at and get – not that they, you know, they're just going to have to reconfigure things, but the bench hurt them. I mean, they, they just weren't able to, and, you know, Angles didn't shoot it real well that last game. Um, they're just so used to watching them play where it's a well-oiled machine and they're sharing the ball and knocking threes down. Uh, credit has to be given to the Lakers. You know, uh, Ty Lue comes under a lot of criticism at times, and, you know, they won that championship with, with LeBron, but, uh, man, I'll tell you what, he made all the right moves. And, and, and going small and, you know, getting guys in a position where they could – they made the Jazz play differently. And now the idea that they just went off and man goes for 39 and then against Phoenix, I think he had six. <laughs> that stuff happens. And uh, you get momentum, especially when teams are playing at home. And Paul probably played the best four games he's played as an NBA player in a, in a moment that really mattered. So all of those things led to a good upset and a, you know, losing a 25 point lead that those are things hard to digest. So there's a couple things that are hard for jazz fans to digest. Giving up 81 points and a half can never, ever, ever be a good thing. Uh, but it was a trend that was kind of, they were building that moment. The Clippers averaged 125 points a game in their four wins, games three through six. So, for people who say, well, the Jazz need to be healthier, well, okay, obviously. 
the guard line needs to be a little bigger. Can they add an extra guy there? Can they add one more forward who is a really good defender? Not these guys play all the time because there aren't enough minutes for everyone, but the Clippers seem to be ham and egg in it with different guys. Zubak's role gets bigger or smaller. Um, Cousins' role seems to completely disappear at times. They've got three guards for two spots, so one of those guys often sits. Man, Batum is third in minutes played, and he's on a one-year minimum deal because his contract got bought out in Charlotte. And Reggie Jackson got bought out midseason in Detroit. And those two acquisitions made them a lot deeper. So is that something the Jazz have to look at? Roll guys who have the right mindset and sit at times or don't play as many minutes but can come up big when they have to. Yeah, I, I think you're right on there. And, and, and Batum and Jackson did, and, and they just played so well. Batum, you know, putting him, putting, started, going small and starting him uh, caused problems for the Jazz. You know, I mean, all of a sudden you're taking Rudy away from the rim. And, and and Jackson just played like, you know, he had been an all-star the, the whole time. I mean, he just, he, no fear, made big baskets. And uh, so, you know, just, and the thing about it, it's just so much easier for, for the Lakers, I'm excuse me, for the Clippers to to defend. You know, I mean, you're all 6'7", six, 6'8", six, you, you can switch everything, you can do a lot of things that you can't do uh, that if, if you're not playing that way. And, and Zubar, you know, he got minutes, but... His, his minutes really re, re, went down when Batum um, uh, ended up making shots. I mean, he, he he was the difference, honestly. He could stretch. He's four for six for three in that last game uh, and just spread, made him spread the floor and open lanes up that weren't there before when they played the Jazz. So I think the Jazz do need to look at their bench. I, I, and there's no question about it. I don't know. I don't know a lot about their contracts. You, you guys know a lot more about that than I do. But I think the things you just shared are, are spot on. And, uh, and you know, and, and I think that Conley will be uh, a situation that only he and his family are going to know. I'm sure the Jazz would like to have him come back. But they do need a couple of pieces. They, they need some athleticism. And, you know, and it's not like, I mean, you take McDonough and Engel, and then you got injured guys, and, and Clarkson doesn't have great size. He's not a great defender. They're going to need to shore up a little bit. I mean, this has always been a team that shares the ball, moves the ball, can really knock it down. But when it came down to getting stops, they couldn't do that. And, and mind you, you got injuries, which is a part of it. But it is it's also a toughness there that uh, needs to be improved. And you only can do that probably by bringing a couple of six, seven, six, eight guys that can defend and, you know, three and D guys that can guard and, 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 and spread the floor like they like to do anyway. So I, I would think that we're going to see a couple of those changes for sure. So it's easy to sit here and second guess, uh, but they were just doing the same thing over and again, over and over again, and Terrence Mann and these guys hitting shot after shot. Is there any adjustments that they could have made in the moment? You know, I mean, you you could have, you know, you can go small. I mean, it was, you know, you take when you go small, you know, you take away a rim protector, but the system that the Clippers were running was already taking him away from the rim. So maybe maybe you know you might have experimented with going small and and playing them the same way. Um, I think that I think to be honest with you, just watching Donovan Mitchell play, you, you can all see that he was his effort was amazing. And but he just he didn't he's just slow a step. I mean it just was very difficult. Conley the same thing, and uh, and so you know you've got. Mitchell, who's probably your most athletic guy on that team, but defensively they 
they couldn't get stops. And uh, and once the Lakers started making perimeter shots and took Gobert away from the basket, there wasn't a lot they could do but try to go small maybe. And uh, but I, and again, the bench, the bench just wasn't real productive the last three or four games. So I, you know, there wasn't personnel there. I don't know. I'm not sure there was personnel there that was ready and active to play that could have made a difference. But I would say, you know, the adjustment of maybe going small, taking Gobert out for a bit, he, he wasn't real effective anyway with the way they were playing them. And, uh, you know, it may, maybe they could have stopped that run. I mean, the fact that they're up 25 early in the third quarter, uh, it just wasn't the character of, of the Jazz to give that up. But once it got going, and when you're on the road, anything can happen. But that was the last thing I thought could ever happen. And uh, But it did. It did because a guy like Terrence Mann, who nobody's ever heard of, goes for 39. I mean, he doesn't go off, you know, the Clippers lose by 15, and, and they're going back to Utah, and Utah's playing the Suns instead of the Clippers. Right? I mean, you can't downplay the fact that the Clippers played with great energy, great enthusiasm. I mean, they there was toughness there, and once they got it going and got back into that game, you, you could see that they weren't going to be stopped. Steve Cleveland, basketball insider, joining us. So now it's the Hawks and the Bucks, and it's the Clippers and the Suns, and nobody's got any championship uh, pedigree here with Kawhi Leonard hurt and out. He's the guy you'd think, okay, well, that's kind of an X factor, but it doesn't look like he's playing. So who you got? I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, if hopefully Chris Paul has a chance to come back, but I, I personally think the Suns are the best team out of four. They got too many, they've got so many shooters. They've got enough rim protection. They play hard. They've got a lot of confidence. And it's not to say the Clippers couldn't beat them. They, they could, but they're going to have to play really well. But, I, I mean, the Bucks, they it's hard for me to watch them and see what's going on and, and at times. And they, they certainly have size and girth and those kinds of things. But, uh, and, I, and I guess probably you think, but the matchup-wise, I, I would think that the Bucks would beat the Hawks. But then again, the Hawks are a lot like the Suns. I mean, would that be crazy, Hawks and Suns in the NBA Finals? But they are the two teams that really have their, their well-oiled offensive machines. I mean, they can shoot it. They, they've got a lot of guys that can do a lot of different things. They've got, you know, they, they've got enough size to protect the rim. They're young, uh, and I think that's a big thing, too. They're, they're, you know, other than Chris Paul having to deal with COVID right now, I don't see a lot of injuries. Uh, I, I would love to see that final, Atlanta and the Suns. I mean, that, that would be kind of cool to watch. You know, that's something no one ever expected. Uh, I think the Clippers are going to have a say in this thing, though. I don't know that Kawhi's coming back, but the Clippers can beat the Suns, but the, the Suns just have, I mean, they're like, obviously, the Suns and, and uh, the Jazz were, you know, two of the best offensive teams in the NBA, but uh, you, you've got, you, you've just got a group of young guys there with the Suns that, uh, and, and, a, and a young superstar coming that, I, and I didn't realize how well he would play at the point, and so I, I I like the Suns. I mean, everything I've seen about them, they, they have a lot of swagger. They've got a lot of confidence. Um, I, don't, I don't know that they're a team like the Jazz who are going to lose four in a row. I mean, they're going to they're gonna be tough to beat at home. They didn't play great against the Lakers on the road uh, one night. You know, we'll see how they are with the Clippers. But uh, it, that team seems to have the most swag, the most confidence. 
And because Atlanta, a lot of Atlanta's success was due to, you know, guys can't make, you know, you've got, you've got guys that are missing free throws and making mistakes. I mean, the 76ers helped Atlanta a great deal. I mean, they just made mistakes. They turned it over. They missed layups, couldn't make free throws. And that's a bad recipe to try to win a, uh, you know, a conference final. So, or a semifinal. So I, I like the Suns. I, I, I if, if I was going to bet a dollar, I'd, I'd say that they have the greatest upside. But that being said, if they don't, if the Clippers, if the Clippers end up beating the Suns in this thing and going to the finals, I think they win the whole thing. So as a Jazz, as a Jazz go forward, you know the goal obviously is to get better, as it is for every team and really college, high school, you name it, and. So they're going to have to find ways to basically, at a pro level, like you did often at the college level, is recruit guys to Utah. And Utah has certain perceptions. We know what they are. But I'm wondering, you know, you had to overcome it. You not only had to recruit guys to Utah, you had to recruit them to BYU. So that's like a double whammy, in a sense, in terms of non-church members uh, to get them to commit. And as the Jazz go forward in their new ownership, how much success do you think they can have developing the relationships and how important are relationships in terms of getting guys to make that commitment to come here? Well, you're right about relationships. And if any, any organization seems to check all the boxes in terms of you know, a coaching staff that works with the guys. And I, I watch, when I do watch NBA, I watch coaches. I watch how they interact. And, uh, and, and, and then the college game and the NBA are two different uh, beasts. I mean, it, it, it's you, the relationships are a huge part in any organization. But I think in the NBA where you've got guys making millions of dollars, there's so many people in their camp, you know, you, you've got to know how to make them click and make them work. I, I like the new ownership. I think that Dwayne Wade is, uh, is a great ambassador. He, he has come in and just seamlessly – stepped in. I don't know what his role is going to be, but here's a guy that's done it at every level, and uh, he'll be able to speak to uh, a young man, whether he be African-American, white, or from Europe, or wherever it might be. Uh, he's going to be able to speak, and he, he, the people are going to listen. It's not that they wouldn't listen to the, you know, to the coaching staff and the coaches, but having Dwayne Wade there, and, and, and Ryan Smith, a young man that has thought outside the box and just has done amazing things with his life and building his his companies. Uh, I, I think that young energy will be a real benefit between uh, to, to helping get de- different players answering questions about what it is. I mean, obviously they have loyal fan base, uh, and you're right, Salt Lake City's not going to be for everyone. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I think the Dwayne Wade. Uh, being there, I, I think, answers a lot of those questions. He, he's respected throughout the world. And, uh, and, and I think Ryan Smith is a guy that his whole life is a really, really smart guy that has thought outside of the box. And, and he, too, himself is passionate about this game. And I think people like to be around people who are passionate about the game. So I, I think there's some people in place that are going to, be, that are going to help. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There are going to be some guys that just don't want to live there, that don't want to be there for whatever the reasons are. And so, but I do believe that Dwayne Wade and Ryan Smith are two big pieces that, besides the fact that you've got a, one of the greatest coaches uh, in the league today and, and a staff that is, is 
outstanding. So, I mean, they've got the pieces there. I don't know a lot about their organization inside, so it's not, it doesn't do me any good to make a comment about it because I don't know. But when I look at that coaching staff and then I look at new ownership and I look at Dwayne Wade, uh, I think there are some really, really strong personalities and, and energetic people who are, are going to be able to sell the fact that, hey, you want to be a part of this jazz program where we're so close and uh, we want to get over the hump. We need you. I can tell you Dwayne Wade isn't into being the celebrity owner uh, at 35,000 feet. He's, uh, he's digging way, in, way more into the uh, business side of the uh, basketball operation. He, he wants to know. Um, yep. And so I think he's surprised people inside the organization. Maybe not Ryan, because Ryan, you know, golfed with him and knew him. But I mean, the people who work in the organization are like, "Wow, this guy's in here asking good questions and wants to know what's going on." Um, so uh, I think that bodes well. It, it shows buy-in on his part. I'm curious how much you think Donovan Mitchell can recruit. I, I mean, we're sitting here, and so maybe we're overselling yeah. it because he's the local hero and all that. But watching the post-game stuff, and, and PK's right, it is old guys talking to young guys, so that's part of it. But it seems like there's a charisma, and people are going to want to play with him. Not everybody. Jazz fans will probably want some guys and get the door slammed in their face, and it'll hurt because some people just aren't coming here. But it does seem like he's got the charisma, and some people will want to come here and play with him. No, I, I completely agree. I completely agree with that. Uh, and I, I, you know, you watch as they play and the respect that people have for him and, uh, you know, in wins and losses over the course of the year, there's so much respect for Donovan and he is the face of the jazz and he is the guy. And uh, I, I believe that he, he'll, he'll be out recruiting. I mean, and I don't know who's going to all be out there, but he's a guy that is the face of that organization. And uh, he's got such great energy. He's got so much charisma. He's passionate. He speaks his mind when he maybe shouldn't, but that's what people love about him. He's not going to hide behind anything. He'll be, he, he's very accountable to himself and to the player hard on himself. Those are the kinds of things you like. And uh, so, yeah, I think, I think Donovan, Dwayne, Brian, you, you, you know, the a coaching staff, uh, you, you, they're going to have to recruit. I know. You know, I remember being at BYU, and obviously uh, BYU had always been a really, really good program, and they had a little hiccup when things went down, and Utah was so good, and it all came down to trust. It came down to relationships. And I remember going into homes and people and knowing that Utah was recruiting them and, and, and just getting them to believe that, listen, we can turn this thing. And, and so relationships, and for us as a staff, when we went into homes, um, I always loved it when we went into homes and, and, and people there are wearing Utah hats or they're, they're, they're wearing another university hat. We go, we got no respect here. But at the end of the day, the reason we got it turned was because we developed relationships. We made, let them know that we were going to put them in positions to be better. We we're committed to that. And that was, that was our consistent message. And, and over time, it turned. And so the Jazz are way farther ahead than the BYU was in 1997. But I, I think the trust issue and the relationships issues are huge for people coming in, especially younger players. Maybe it's their second contract. Now they're looking at a place where they can fit in. And, and listen, the, the Jazz have really good players, but they, they need to continue to get better. 
And and you, because you know you you take a look at Bogdanovich and Ingles who had great you know they had great years, but defensively, the, you're, you're always I mean and Bogdanovich is a tough dude, but you you need quickness and athleticism defensively, and and I'm not sure that they have that in the in the system right now. So I'm not saying we're going to get rid of Bogdanovich or Ingles, but we need to add too. We need more athleticism. We need more people that can certainly continue to shoot the three like they do, but that they can guard. And uh, that's what I would be looking for. And, uh, you know, Gobert's not going anywhere. He had a great year. They're going to have to – They mean, you know, maybe they need another – maybe they need a more athletic 6'8", 6'9", forward who can score around the basket but can get out and guard outside so that they can go small but not lose athleticism, not lose that girth that they need. So that may be something that they're looking for as well because that, that, is, that doesn't exist right now in, in, their, in their program. They need a – Six eight six nine athletic guy that can go inside out but can guard doesn't have to be a great three point shooter but at least you got to keep guys honest and uh, and you can switch everything with that kind of group so that that's probably the the, the one thing that I see from the outside looking in and, and and again I don't know the young guys they have in their program or that are developing but if they don't have that that's what I'd be looking for. Steve, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again in a week. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag you. Hashtag NBA. We haven't been told, and um, it's just uh, day-to-day. But, you know, just having him on the court and his presence, uh, his ability to communicate with the other players, I think it's such a big plus. And Chris has brought that leadership, and, and Monty continues to talk about it. That's Ann Myers Drysdale right there on Chris Paul's status and his leadership. They won game one without him. And from a talent standpoint, you can just say, well, the Clippers are down Kawhi Leonard, and the Suns are down Chris Paul. How will that play out over time? Is that a wash for talent? I'm sure that those are full segments, hours, possibly even shows of radio in Phoenix and maybe L.A. right now. Game 2 Western Conference Finals tonight, 7 o'clock ESPN. Uh, Ty Lewis confirmed that Kawhi Leonard will remain out, sprained right knee. There's all kinds of stuff out there about an ACL. Is it a, if it's a full tear, I don't know what they're waiting on. Have the surgery and get him back. And maybe it's a partial tear, and ACL isn't going to repair itself, but you improve the, get the swelling out and, and you know, keep working out, improve the secondary restraints and all that, and you, and you try to play on it, I guess. Well, we talked about Spencer Dinwiddie yesterday. His was not a full ACL tear. It was a partial to end up having that surgery on that knocked him out. Right. And, and surgery, if he has it, will impact the start of next year. And depending on how invasive it is, it can a, impact all of I next say year. all of next year, potentially. Right. And so, I mean, we're not done with this year yet to just start going, well, which teams are going to be hurt next year? Well, Jamal Murray is going to miss a big chunk of the season. Could be back for the playoffs. But the history of missing a big chunk of the regular season and come back for the playoffs isn't good. And the same thing for the Clippers and Kawhi. Now, the Clippers could also be down uh, Marcus Morris, who uh, 
didn't have much of an impact shooting the ball in game one. But as we saw with the Jazz, he didn't shoot it well for three games, and then he shot it very well. He shot 47.8% from three in the regular season. So if he can't go, and he's listed as questionable, injured his right knee, only played five minutes in the second half of game one. So if he can't go, well, now you're down two starters. And you got some depth, but, man, over time that stuff shows up. And, of course, we all know, at least Dallas and Utah do, that the Clippers are pretty dangerous when they're down 0-2. So we'll see if they go down 0-2 for a third series. They're the only team to come back from 0-2 twice in the same postseason. And now they may be on the verge of having to do it a third time, and you would think the odds are really against them. Some of the guys who shot the ball well, I mean, we know from watching Jay Crowder here, you know, when he's on, he's really good. But his nights he isn't on, he's going to shoot mid to low 30s from the three-point line. So three to seven in game one, is he going to hit it again in game two? And, and Booker, and Booker was just awesome. Shot over 50% from the floor, made every single one of his free, throw, free throws, scored, rebound, assists, only turned the ball over twice, played 44 minutes, which is a huge total. Can he come up with that kind of game again? Because if he's mortal, if he's very good, but he's mortal, and he's 25 points, I don't know if the Suns are going to win that. And maybe they could grind it out, but it would seem, and, and you know, with Morris and Kawhi out, maybe they could grind it out. But it seems like he's really got to be very good. Immortal. All right, that's too far. Immortal. 40 points, 13 boards, 11 assists. Those are massive numbers. And they won by six, and the game was in doubt in the final two minutes. So we'll see if he can carry that kind of load again. Devin Booker is slotted for the Team USA roster for the 2021 Olympic team. It's filling up. Bam Adebayo is going to play. Uh, this surprised me. James Harden committed to join the roster. He said he's going to be tentative based on how his hamstring responds. Right? But he wants to play. Well, we're getting down I, to it here. It's June got... 22. There isn't long to go. And well, a hamstring? It starts a month from tomorrow, June 23rd. Uh, July 23rd. Donovan Mitchell was invited. Uh, he declined. I think every Jazz fan and all of Jazz management can say, whew, thank you. Get healthy, rest up, get ready for the next season. Kevin Durant is in, Draymond Green, Bradley Bill, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Damian Lillard. All playing. Steph Curry passed. Jazz are going to have uh, had three to five guys eligible with Mitchell out. That's four. Mike Conley said he'd go if asked. There's a 57-player pool. That's shrinking as guys like Steph Curry and Donovan Mitchell say no, 56, 55, that kind of thing. Uh, my guess is Conley will end up not playing, but he could. But I would think that that's a long shot. But you just leave the Jazz with the international guys. Rudy Gobert playing for France. Joe Ingles playing for Australia. And then Bojan Bogdanovic, does Croatia qualify? They've got to qualify, which could mean even more games. Uh, whatever he's got to play. I don't know what the format is for getting through qualification. And then if, he, if they make it, probably prefer this year that they don't. Compact season, everybody's talking about, well, not everybody. You know, LeBron spoke loudly about injuries and overscheduling, and that's been his stand. That's been his take consistently. That was his take in November and in December and clearly in June. But the union voted for all of this, and now the guys are voting individually. You see all these NBA players opting into the Olympics? You know, the, and it got addressed in all the... Clean out the lockers. They don't really clean out the lockers or 
Exit interviews. Exit interviews. Thank you. George Yan literally looked like he was sitting in a minivan. Some guys didn't even have video. I was going to say, <laughs> a couple guys didn't do it. But in the exit interviews, it came up with the three foreign players who all want to play, and they were all definitive about that. And Mike Conley was definitive that he wanted to play if asked. And Dennis Lindsay made it clear, you know, are you worried? Yes. Which someone on the line laughed. And I think he laughed because Dennis never... Well, not never, because he just did it. But Dennis very rarely answers things that directly. There's always qualifiers. He's always very careful. (laughs) And just say, are you worried about it? Yes! Brought out a laugh. And it may have been Justin Zanuck, but Dennis was the only one on the screen, so I don't know. Yes, they're worried. It's also, he made the point, it's collectively bargained. There's nothing you can say. And... You benefit at times from it. I think with the young guys when they're playing, I think you know Rudy Gobert playing internationally when he needed games early, it was a big positive. But when they're veterans, I don't think it's a, it's a big positive anymore. They'll probably be playing somewhere, so there's always a risk. But in this condensed season, everybody worried about fatigue. I mean, if one of these guys has an injury next year, it's going to go right back to, well, they played in the Olympics. And you just, I don't even know what, what the injury is going to be, but I know it's going to go back to that. Did they play too many games over the summer during the offseason? Right. Ignoring the fact that before pros played in the Olympics, pros were going to Pauley Pavilion and the, the Magic Johnsons of the world were hey, setting up games and they were playing and we didn't see it. Don't pull back the curtain too much. Sixers head coach Doc Rivers told reporters the franchise has a plan to help star guard Ben Simmons deal with his shooting woes. I believe, without going into detail with what we're doing, I believe we know what the right work is and the right type of work and the right way to do it. You can do the work all the time, but if it's not done in the right way and the right type of work, you may not improve. After being here for a year, I really do believe we're justif- we've identified what and how, and now we have to do the do part. We have the work. We have to work to do it. It's not going to be an easy job, but it's definitely a job that Ben can do. Cleaning up the quote from a day before a little bit, can he be the starting point guard for an NBA championship team? I don't know right now. What? Okay, I'll just go with no. Everyone just go with no. He doesn't shoot it well enough in an era that shooting is so critical. And his shooting is so important. And to go from where he is to being a good shooter would be a massive leap. I was going to say zero FGAs. In the On the final. other hand, he does so many other things. If he could improve the point that he was a mediocre shooter. Yeah, it's going to say you don't he need... Doesn't, he doesn't have to turn into Damian Lillard and Logo Steph Curry threes. and oh. Donovan Mitchell. Well, an elite score. I mean, anybody who's scoring 20 but plus, if he could shoot 25 plus a game. mid-30s from three, that would be a massive... If defenders had to close out on the oh, three-point yeah. line. Yes, 35% from 30. They will play you honest at that point. Clippers assistant Chauncey Billups, Spurs assistant Becky Hammond have emerged as leading candidates for the Portland Trailblazers head coaching position will advance to a second round of interviews with Portland's front office in the coming days. I think most people, if they had to handicap it, would say Billups won, Hammond two. Don't know that. Can't prove it. But you listen to people in NBA circles talk, the kind of people, if they don't have Chauncey in their cell phone, they have people in their cell phone who are in Chauncey's cell phone, and they seem to think it's Chauncey. So, see how that plays out. And we've got like a half dozen jobs. Basically, a quarter of the league is turning over, which is the normal number. And they happen for all sorts of reasons. Portland, the traditional reason, fire the coach. New Orleans, the annual reason, fire the coach. Boston, obviously, Ainge steps down and the coach gets promoted. So everybody's got different situations. Largely, I don't think it matters. I don't even get into the whole this person outcoached that person thing. I think there's probably two-thirds of the league have competent head coaching. And the limits are on what the players are capable of doing. Everybody knows what the issues are. 
and everybody knows what the point is and what, you know, they're doing this, so we need to counter with this or this. Now, there are times where Atlanta, I don't know what was going on, and they brought in one of the guys who was sitting on the sideline. Nate McMillan was a good coach in Indiana. He's a perfectly good coach in Portland. He's a perfectly good NBA player. I think he was a Sonics coach too, right? Now we're going back. So he's had three good runs, and now he goes into Atlanta. Everybody knew they'd get better. I don't think anybody knew they'd be in the Eastern Conference final. That's a shocker. Nobody knew that when the playoffs started, even after he'd had a good second half of the a very good second half of the season when he took over. And, and I think Stotts is a guy who knew. It just sounds like they're, they're moving jet, moving the deck chairs here. It's the same cruise ship. They're moving the deck chairs. Well, Stotts has emerged as the leading candidate in Indiana. So there you go. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. What's up, people? I'm Carl Massive. I'm at my house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. I really have the best life. I got the best family, friends, and job a guy could ask for. I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. I just think that representation and visibility are so important. One of the teams, they weren't interested at the very end. I was thinking, you're sticking with that mother... (laughs) Okay, there's two pieces of audio that really don't go together, so naturally, Yach put them together. That was Tom Brady on one team who passed on him as a free agent. Well, now we want to know. Who'd you stick with? Well, there are people who are saying that it might be a certain team that has a former backup of his. San Francisco. Jimmy G. Makes it sound like Tom wanted to go there. And that would be the hometown team. He grew up in Northern California. He's from the Bay Area. He's a Bay Area guy. So what would generate that reaction from him? Okay, that makes sense. Goes against the whole G-rated image. But you know, he threw the Super Bowl trophy off a boat, too. So, at this point. Hey, I've got my... I don't know how many Super Bowl trophies is this? I can't even keep track. Is that seven? Seven. Seven. He needs one more now. That way he's got as many as the next two guys... Combined. Yeah, he's got he's got Brad. Right now, he's got Montana and Aikman combined. And that's fine because a lot of NFL fans are young and only know Terry Bradshaw as a broadcaster. They don't know him as a player. I'm old enough. I remember him as a player. If you get eight and you match Bradshaw and Montana, I mean, you're just piling on at this point. And he seems perfectly content to pile on. That was a little Jordanish right there. You like him over me? Now, into every equation, is well, he's 15 years younger than you. <laughs> I mean, but Brady's point is, I'm coming to get you a Super Bowl. How many Super Bowls are you going to get in 15 years with that guy? Zero, one, two. Two would be a lot. Aaron Rodgers has one. Okay, Drew Brees dude. got one. Let me say, yeah. and these guys are all going straight to the Hall of Fame on first ballot. Nobody's doing sports talk radio shows based on whether these guys are Hall of Famers or not because it's boring because we all know they are. And they got one. So to Brady's point, you know. 15 years with him. I mean, maybe you get two with Roethlisberger. I mean, the list of quarterbacks who have three Super Bowls is real short. I might have just rattled it off. Elway retired with two. Brady might get two for Tampa Bay in two years. I was going to say. Give me a run it back. That is ridiculous. So we're watching greatness. We were just talking yesterday when we had Bob Casper on about when are we going to get 
you know, the next Tiger Woods. And you can't say never because there's plenty of people, well, not plenty of people, but there are some people of a certain age who remember Jack Nicholas in his prime. I don't. I remember Jack at the very end. I mean, Jack's prime went on for 25 years, so. Well, no, he did not his prime. But his prime was a solid 15 to 18 years. And he was still an elite golfer for 25 years, won championships for 25 years. So we might get another one. You youngsters in your 20s and 30s might get one more Tiger. I'm probably not. When are we going to get another Jordan? When are we going to get another Brady? You're not getting another Brady. And I know Mahomes is great young, but look what Russell Wilson did when he was on his rookie contract. Now they're getting paid. The team around him isn't going to be as good. And that's going to be a factor. Now Mahomes may still get more, but Brady is Tiger. Mahomes is Phil Mickelson. People love him. And he'll win a lot, but don't compare how much he wins to Brady. That's not fair. Before that, you heard uh, Carl Nassib there, the Raiders defensive end, saying that he is gay. He's the first active player to announce he's part of the LGBTQ plus community. I don't believe he's the only one, but he's the only one willing to come out and take whatever abuse comes with that. Unfortunately, people probably yell at him, holler at him. He'll get hit up on social media with who knows what. Let him do his thing. Uh, the role model thing is, is probably pretty important. You talk to the people who are in the mental health community who talk about how isolated people feel. And maybe they shouldn't feel that isolated. They shouldn't feel like everybody's against them. But you hear comments and people say or do things. And then you think, well, everybody's thinking that. Maybe everybody isn't thinking that. Uh, the most vocal people are. So to have a role model out there is, is probably a positive. For most people, I think they'll just sit there and wait for the Raiders to turn the ball over with the game on the line and then watch John Gruden's face. That's how I think most people will weigh in, but for some people, it'll be important to have him be a role model. Giants legend Eli Manning, officially back with the organization in the business operations and fan engagement role. He'll also work on original content development, which includes a new lifestyle series that premieres this fall. Manning is 40. He retired after the 2019 season and... He's not as big a star as his brother because very few people are as big a star as his brother. But the broadcasting stuff that Manning has done, the podcasting he's done for ESPN, has been brilliant. And even if you don't subscribe during the height of the pandemic when they had no games last summer, like they were just running one after another on ABC or on ESPN to fill time when they normally have a game on a Sunday afternoon on ABC. And they were hilarious. And he was doing stuff, the history of the football I saw that one about how the football evolved and became easier to throw. And he's shot putting this ball. It's the kind of thing that normally you didn't have time for. But if you got 20 minutes to watch this thing, this webisode, it would, and, and man, it's hilarious. And Eli's funny, too. We've seen him in the commercials. You ought to do this. You ought to tie your legends in and keep your legends and build the mythology of the team and all that. I like what the Jazz have done, bringing bringing players back occasionally to sign autographs. And the more they expand on that stuff, I would think they would. Ryan Smith is a he grew up a jazz fan. He played junior jazz basketball. All this has to resonate with him. And then do you want to do it with Stockton and Malone? Sure. But, you know, when they brought Mehmet Kerr back, that was a big hit. You can't really bring Jeff Hornacek back because he's working in the NBA. But, you know, to bring him back or bring, you know, B. Russ. Antoine Carr came back. Say Antoine yeah. Carr. We've had it in the studio. Yeah. D. Will started to be around more. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. So the Supreme Court, in a unanimous 9-0 decision, 
I don't think you're supposed to say bipartisanship about the Supreme Court, but... In a unanimous 9 nothing decision affirmed a ruling that provides for an incremental increase in how college athletes can be compensated, opens the door for future legal challenges. You can't limit compensation, especially if it's related to their education. So, like, right now, everybody gets a Mac. I mean, that's just a given. If, if the whole SEC isn't giving players Macs, I don't even know who the SEC is anymore. So, how... How much stuff can you give people? How creative can you be in justifying it? And how much is it an arms race? (laughs) Really, the only thing that's keeping college football together is the scholarship limit. Because I guess that, the 25 and the fact that only 11 guys can play at a time because people want playing time. But the SEC's got more money in the Pac-12 and the Pac-12's got more money than the AAC, and the AAC's got more than the Mountain West. I mean, it's a whole food chain. And it's not just big fish, little fish. Now there's fish of 11 conferences, 10 conferences. There's uh, 11. Okay, then there's fish of at least like seven different sizes. <laughs> well, then you can go down to the lower divisions, FCS. Right, yeah. And the NCAA's still trying to write rules, and they're just, my gosh, the bureaucracy grinds well, so slowly. Justice Kavanaugh said that in any other industry, this would be considered completely out of line. Right. Gorsuch uh, wrote that they, uh, they limited the scope of this decision that was 9-0 to education-related benefits. So you can give everybody a computer now and say it's education-related. They're saying the limit's probably around $6,000 as a student-athlete. But they did not delve further into questions about the association's business model. There's another lawsuit coming. This will go on and on. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. This is the start of the second of three trips L.A. will make to downtown San Diego. 1-2, hammered, absolutely crushed. Deep to left. Rex going back, looking up, going to go. Three-run homer, Manny Machado. And a fly ball, center field. Could tell Marte is there. He's under it. And he's got it. And the Diamondbacks have won a ball game here tonight. They snap a 17-game losing streak. Beating the Brewers 5-1. Their first win since June 1st. June 22nd. How bad did it get? It's been a hot minute. It got bad. 17 straight losses to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Our long national or at least statewide nightmare is over. PK is taking the day off to celebrate. He'll be watching videos of great Diamondbacks of the past. Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, striking people out. World Series being won. Flares landing on the grass behind second base. Arizona's an MLB worst 21-53. and 53. At this point, just win the lottery, man. Get that top draft pick. What the heck? Hit reset. Uh, he's been telling us Bruce Bochy wants back in, so just... Just got to get through this without, you know, you can lose a lot, but the, the 17 row is kind of humiliating. They still got to break the road losing streak. That's the next thing to do. At the other end of the division, you heard the uh, home run there from Machado, the three run shot. And the reason they're setting up the schedule is because it was the bottom of the first inning. He's kind of taking care of that house, cleaning stuff, filling time. But the Padres started with uh, a double, a homer, excuse me, a double, a walk, a double, and a homer. The first four guys all got on. The first four guys all scored. It was 4-0. They went on to win 6-2. So that was the that was the proverbial got to jump on them early. And they did, and they made it stand up stand up because they had you uh, Darvish who uh, gave them a, another rock-solid outing. 
Yeah, you Darvish is really good. Newsflash. 11 strikeouts. 11 strikeouts. Padres get the win. Uh, they're trailing the Dodgers and the Giants. It's a, it's a little dicey. You can't fall behind, and they have. You know, it's, uh, there's only two wild cards, so all the hype about the second-best team in baseball and right now the third-best team in division and going to have to fight for the wild card. A normal size losing streak. Texas has lost six in a row. Normally you complain about that, but when the Diamondbacks are sitting over 17 in a row, hardly anybody notices. But it's over. The Rangers beat the A's 8-3. to Those two could have a really good race here in the American League West. See how that, see how that plays out for those two. The Astros uh, right now have a one-game lead over Oakland despite that six-game losing streak. Bees saw Sacramento score four in the bottom of the ninth to win 7-6. to six. Series finale today at 1 o'clock. Listen to it on 1280 The Zone. Uh, our regular lineup of shows will be over on 97.5 The Zone. Hans and Scotty will start on both signals and then wrap up on, uh, on 97.5. All right, DJ and PK, what is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report at 830. Jerry Brewer, Washington Post sports columnist. Talk about that NCAA stuff and how much money is going to be flowing to your favorite athletes. That's at 9 o'clock right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30. Presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON on your home of the the best college football coverage in Utah. 975-1280 the zone and the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes with Toes brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Cadillac owners may have changed, but luxury hasn't. Come see the bold new lineup of Cadillac at Jerry Signer Cadillac today. Question of the day, we got two of them. We'll start with the on the court stuff, then we'll get to the off the court stuff. On the court, the question of the day, should the Jazz make a commitment to having a small ball lineup with five perimeter shooters? Short answer, hot take, yes. Longer answer, more nuanced coming up. But short, to the point, yes. This is where the game is going, and it's not going back. You can make an argument. I can't guarantee it because they don't know what incredible... 15-year-old is out there that we haven't heard of yet. But you can make an argument that Rudy Gobert is on the back end of the curve, the end of the dominant inside big man. And that soon everybody will play out on the three-point line. And we're already, we're, we're getting very close to that already. There's a lot of three-point shooters. Traditional seven-footers. Carl Anthony Towns is out on the three-point line. Anthony Davis is out on the three-point line. Wait a minute, why didn't I start with the NBA most valuable player? Nikola Jokic is out on the three-point line. So this is a well-established trend. I'm not going to list them all. This is a well-established trend, and it's where we're going. I think Rudy's not at the absolute tail end of the dominant interior big man, uh, but uh, uh, some of the guys may, may change their games over time. 
You know, if uh, I, I can never keep Brooke and Robin Lopez straight, honestly, if, if I'm being totally honest, I have to look it up. When I'm, when I'm looking at them, I have to look on my phone. I just got to know that Sideshow Bob is playing for the Washington Wizards. And then, so Brooke's playing for the Milwaukee Bucks currently. He's the more... Straight. And I'll remember this for about five minutes, and in the next segment you'll have to tell me again. But if, if, one, if one or both of them can learn to shoot the three-pointer, and I'm not sure which one... Brooke has learned how to shoot it at a very high clip. Okay, I'm playing it up a little bit now. I know that. He was in Milwaukee. Uh, but if he can learn to do it, I can't tell you that Aiton won't learn to do it. And Aiton's younger than Gobert, and he's... I mean, he got a lot of compliments from the Clippers after game one. That he is... And actually, it was kind of a shot at Rudy, too. But also, I think, well, the shot might not be fair. It might be just a fair evaluation that doesn't reflect great on Rudy. I shouldn't... Shot means it's personal, and I don't, I don't know that it was. I, I didn't hear it. I read it, and, you know... 70% of all communication is nonverbal. But I read it, and I didn't take it that way. Just that he's more athletic and a better finisher than the bigs we face so far. I don't know that he's um, – Rudy's pretty athletic, but he's certainly a better finisher, without question. We probably debate the athleticism and break it down and argue about it forever. Aiton's very athletic, and he's a really good finisher. So maybe he's the guy at the back end of the wave of, hey, I can, I can play in the NBA, and I can play for a winner and play a lot of minutes and have a big role and not shoot the three. But he may add it like the Lopez triplets. Wait, there's not three of them, right? It's just twins. Just okay. twins. Just twins. The, the thing is that uh, David Locke is talking about this. Brooke Lopez took like something like 23s in this first few years. Oh, yeah, league. absolutely. We, and then yeah. – Learned how to shoot it over and And that's why I'm saying is somebody might and learn later, correct. you know. And, and Aiden's pretty skilled already. Just add it to your repertoire, yeah. So if you see a guy who can shoot at 10 or 15 feet, can he take it further out? And how hard is he willing to work at it? The closest indication is how good you are at shooting free throws, according to most people. And there's the 15-footer. Yeah, a seven-footer doesn't need to shoot it off the dribble and raise up and fire over someone. You're seven feet tall. It's a set shot. It's not that different than a free throw except it's further out. So should the Jazz make a commitment to this? Yes, I think they have to. And I think more teams are going to. And the Jazz are going to face more teams that have three-point shooters. And for the teams that already have it, there's going to be more commitment to it. And you're going to have to match up with it. So yes, does it probably start with the favors minutes, not the Gobert minutes? I would assume so, yes. There's probably three things the Jazz need to add this offseason. And if it's like most teams in most offseasons, they won't get them all. But height to the guard line, quickness, athleticism, to the wings, and the ability to go small ball and match up. Now the thing about it is that taking Rudy off the court, or using the 12 minutes he's off the court anyway, it's risky because right now you don't have enough guys who defend well enough for you to be a good defensive team without Rudy behind you. I mean, I don't want to go Jack Nicholson on you, but you need Rudy on that hill. You want Rudy on that hill. They do that No, I think you want him on that hill. You need him on that yeah. hill. Mm-hmm. I bungled the line. It's okay. My bad. We all knew what you were saying, though. Right. And the Jazz need Rudy. Now, you can say Jazz fans, I don't want him. Yeah, well, you need him. Because when he's off the court, and in games one, two, three, four, and five, it was obvious when Rudy wasn't in, 
the Clippers were usually going on a run. And, and the thing is that Favors, like, he could play hard. He could block a shot. And it had no impact on their decision-making the next time down the court. They were clearly under orders from Ty Lue. If Rudy's on the bench, you're attacking the rim. If he gets you, he gets you. But no intimidation factor. We don't concede anything. They concede stuff to Rudy. So at first it'll be a transition. Now after Rudy, you know, how do you find your Jokic? How do you find your Carl Anthony Towns? How do you find your AD? Well, that's why everybody's paying scouts to find those guys. And there will be more of them because... You're not finding Jokic in the second round anymore. No, you wouldn't think, right? Well, I think because what you're talking about, the fact that he came in the second round and now they're searching for that... So the only, the only thing I would say is you're not finding him out of Central Europe because there's Fair. an acceptability. But if you found him in Asia or Africa, what would happen? The basketball isn't at a high level. The kid may be more of a prospect and may truly be a kid and could be really raw. Hakeem Olajuwon was really raw in college. Now, the fact is, you might come out of Asia or Africa and be every bit as developed, and your point, you're like Yao Ming, Yao Ming won the second round pick, was he? You know, it could be that obvious, but I do think if you come out of some countries that we don't think of as basketball countries, and how young are you and how raw are you? How late, basically the question is, how late did you come to the sport and what kind of coaching did you get? Like in Europe, man, the clubs are developed, the sisters are finding them young. But if you're in the U.S., yeah, you would have to be quite the project. I mean, Rudy was late first rounder because he's quite the project, and he still was a first rounder. He's wearing 27, but he's not wearing 47. But to your point, you're talking about these new frontiers that the NBA is trying to get into Asia, Africa. They're very early on and kind of building out what Europe. And so and it depends on how have. well. Yeah. You know, you know, you read the read a profile on Siakam. You know. Yeah. And so. So should they make the commitment? Yeah, I think they have to. It's where the game is going. I don't think there's anything around it. Uh, Mr. Monster tweets at us, the thing that's frustrating is not being able to play small ball or not be able to dominate when you're playing against small ball. You have to be able to do one or the other and punish teams that go small with a center like Rudy. And I wanted to talk to Rudy about that, and I asked him, and Rudy clearly wanted no part of that. Yak, did you listen to that and laugh? You, laughed. Was, you didn't I, laugh with me, did you? I was on air. We were doing the Saturday show. Oh, you carried show. it live? We carried that nice. live. Nice. I didn't know and on the timing. I was, so Lundy, um, Alex Lundberg, who's my co-host on the Saturday show, he kind of like, he goes like, he was like looking down all of a sudden. He goes like, whoa, what just <laughs> happened here? I asked Rudy so about, you know, punishing small ball. And, I mean, that means basically getting the ball to Rudy and, and finding a way to get him dunks. And, like, they're going to run a guy out there who's 6'7 or 6'8 or whatever. How do, how do they? How do the Jazz use that to their advantage to the other end of the court? How do they punish that? And Rudy went, well, what do you think? All right, well, let me quote PK. I'm not here with the answers. I'm here with the questions, okay? <laughs> I got crazy opinions. I don't want to go at you in front of Rudy, in front of everybody, Rudy. <laughs> we all think you ought to be dunking. What's going on? So, and, and here's a question, and this is the biggest question about the Olympics. How much player development time is there going to be? I asked Joe that. How much, what are you going to do in the offseason? He said, well, with the Olympics and a short offseason, how much, you know, and he'll work on something. I don't know that he had his meeting with, with Quinn yet when he talked to us, with Quinn and Dennis and Justin. 
But how much time is there going to be to add something for these guys playing in the Olympics? I think we can all worry about that. It's a question. That'll be a hot take, a question for later this week. Mo says, Mo Horowitz, time to lose Rudy. No team with him as a centerpiece will win a championship. Hell, he can't even get out of the second round. Okay, well, Stockton and Malone were seven, eight years in the league when they finally got out of the second round. And they got it. They, I think if you go back and look it up, they were a two or three seed and beat the six or seven and got an upset and got the other six or seven. That's how they got out the first time. And then it was two more years before they got out again. So, can't get out of the first round? I'll give you hasn't. Hasn't is a fact. Can't? I think they can. But I get your frustration, Mo, so let it rip. Curtis says it needs to be at least an option in the playbook we can go to if needed. Not even having the option hurt us. Agreed, Curtis. That's kind of where I'm leading. That's, and I think if I, if I had to, and there's probably other people who joined Curtis, but I think Curtis, if I had to say, you know, I don't think Quinn was outcoached, I don't think they had an option he needed. You could have tried something different. I think the response would have been the same. Maybe it wouldn't have been quite as bad. You would have lost a closer game. You still would have lost the series. They had figured out that and the, and the fact that, Con, that Donovan and Mike Conley weren't 100%. There you go. Quinn the small Snyder, ball was the option. Quinn has talked many times about having the tool belt and having these tools that you can use. Well, that's one tool he did not have. Man, when Quinn's done coaching, he could be a writer. I was gonna, well, no. Similes and metaphors, no, baby. He could go out and do the corporate lecture circuit. Let's do. Let's go yeah, out Yeah, he there. would be. You're yeah. right. He would. He'd be out there crushing it. And people would eat that stuff up. They'd eat that stuff up. Justin says, Rudy for Dame. The Jazz made Rudy. Why can't they make Azubuike? Plus, as soon as Rudy loses a little athleticism, it's over. It's over for a lot of people in the NBA when they lose a little athleticism. Most people, they don't lose the skill set. You want to go out? You want to go out and play uh, horse with Jeff Hornacek for money? Yeah, only if you've got too much money and you don't mind losing it because you want to spend time with Jeff Hornacek and see if you can get some stories from the old days or the Knicks or Sarver and the Suns because he's probably got stories about all of them. Like Jeff Hornacek hasn't lost the skill, and after he takes your money, then you know like. Eddie Johnson will line up and Dale Ellis will line up. You just go right down the line. Tim Legler, legs will put down a microphone, leave ESPN. Like, what do you want to lose? A hundred, a thousand, five grand? What are you thinking? I'll take all your money. They don't lose skill, they lose athleticism. You know, I want to. I played in some uh, charity game with uh, Thurl one year and with Pace one year. And like, they're gone, they're, they're done playing for like 10 years at this point. And they step out on a charity game, playing maybe half speed, hands down best player on the. I mean, Pace is like moving this this rickety two three zone defense from the Kalanians to the Rotarians. He's looking guys off, getting guys wide open shots, and I missed mine, and he didn't let me hear the end of it. <laughs> uh, when is Rudy going to lose athleticism? I don't know. Five years? I bet he's got at least five years. He moves really well. Five years puts him in his early to mid-30s. And that'd be also that, that minute mark. That becomes a question mark. Yeah, and the minute mark. How many minutes has he played? Once you hit the, the 20, 25,000, 30,000 minutes. You start creeping up on it, yeah. All right, DJ and PK, that's the on-the-court question. Yes to small ball. Got to have it at least as an option. 
All right, the the off-the-court question involves John Stockton and a certain video and what you think of John now, and we'll get to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. I believe Donovan Mitchell, I believe Quinn Snyder, from Rudy Gobert all the way down to Trent Forrest, I believe those guys believed that they were better than the two teams that are currently playing in the Western Conference Finals, and that is what's nauseating. I think this is going to be a year that's going to stick in the craw of Jazz fans for a long time. And when we talk about opportunities and things like that, this is going to be a big what-if kind of year. What if the Jazz were healthy? Huge what-if. What if Donovan doesn't injure the ankle? What if uh, Mike doesn't injure the hamstring? The Jazz are looking at it like, if we're healthy, we didn't lose to a better team. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Summer LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-2080. That's Davis Vision. Question today, part two. Part one was on the court. Should the Jazz go small ball? Five perimeter shooters. Yes, that's where the game is going. That's where they've got to head. They've got to have it at least as an option. Part two, off the court. What do you think of John Stockton now? I'm going to to preface this by saying I haven't seen the video. I'm not paying whatever it was. Was it 70 bucks or 69.95 or whatever it was? You and me both. I'm not not paying that. I'm not doing it. Now, because I haven't done that, I haven't seen the whole thing. I haven't seen everything he said. I know what has been reported that he said. In one case, I saw a clip on Twitter. But I gather there's more. Now, not having seen it all and not having seen the context and having been on the other end of this discussion and been burned and having known multiple other people, having had this conversation with PK, having had this conversation with Gordon Monson, when you don't hear everything a person says and you don't hear the context, well, then you don't really know what they said. So be careful with crazy assumptions. And we've all been on the wrong end of it where you said this and you said that and you meant this and you meant that. Like, did you hear it? No, but I know what they told me. Well, you ever play the game of telephone when you're in the second grade? The whole classroom sits in a circle, and the teacher tells the first kid something, and the first kid whispers it to the second kid, and the second kid whispers it to the third, and it comes out the other end, and the whole class starts giggling and laughing because, you know, it costs $3 for a, a gallon of milk and a bag of rice, and we all need food to eat. comes out as the other end. Elephants trampled the village and uh, ruined the ping pong game. I mean, it doesn't, it, it's crazy. Now, having said all that, of what I've heard of what Stockton said and the clip, what do I think of John now? Same thing I thought last week, pretty much. In Utah right now, 64% of the people, oh uh, no, excuse me, 64% of the adults have taken the vaccine. I know as a total population, it's 40% of something. But you got to rule out the kids under 12 because they don't have a vaccine for them right now. So two-thirds of the adults have taken the vaccine, think it's a good idea, and want the vaccine. Stockton apparently doesn't think it's a good idea, has his questions. I don't know the details because he didn't pay for the video. He's got a right to an opinion, even if I disagree. I got the vaccine. I think people should get the vaccine. I think it's been tested. I'm fortunate. I had someone in my extended family who, um, you know, was a scientist and had sent drugs through the FDA approval process 
And when I heard about the vaccine last October, November, and they were talking about rushing it before the election, I called my uncle and said, what do you think? And he said, absolutely not. I said, well, when will it be okay? How long do they really need to do it right? And he says, when we get to the first of the year in 2022, they'll say they rushed it, but what they rushed is the paperwork part and the bureaucracy, which is grinding. The science will be good. He said in 2020, uh, did I say 2022? I knew I was going to screw up the year. Say 2021? So when you get to the 2021, he wasn't interested in the fall of 2020. But when he got to 2021, he says, at that point, if they say everything's in order, I'm in. And he's 80, so, you know, he was very definitely interested in following it. Block right? two. Okay. Did it. And I think there's enough evidence now. Not everybody does. And I get that. And you can argue about this stuff forever. But I think Stockton's got his right to his opinion. Donovan Mitchell's got his right to his opinion. Maybe you don't want to get your opinions on politics and science from basketball players or sportscasters. I get that. But Stockton's got his right to throw it out there. And people have the right to pay 70 bucks for it if they want it. I don't. I'm not getting my opinion on science from him. No thanks. Andy says, I applaud him for being brave and speaking his mind. The mob mentality is crazy and people need to stand up. I love him now more than ever. Ryan says, my favorite player of all time, Dunn lost his damn mind. And there it is. Opposite ends of the spectrum, right? But I know from reading yesterday that 64% of the adults in Utah have gotten the vaccine. The people who don't have the vaccine, for one reason or another, they don't want it. I do. I did. I got it. Most of the people I work with, maybe not everybody, but most of the people are in the same boat. And I think we're shaped largely by our personal experience. And people change their mind. If you know somebody or some people who are individually impacted by it, or if you know people who lose people and die because of it, it might change your mind. PK and I had a former boss who lost his son. And he worked in radio, so a lot of people, and a lot of people he was a co-worker. Right now, I'd, I think I'd met him, but I didn't know him. I didn't hang out with him. Well, he's younger than me. People younger than me don't really want to hang out with me. Get away from me, boring old man. I certainly knew his dad. And PK and I have talked about it multiple times. I mean, it's brutal. In his 40s, married with a kid and another one on the way. And that shapes my opinion of, should you get the vaccine or not? You know, we have a frequent guest on the show who lost his brother. Dick Harmon's put stuff out there on social media. He's been really open about it. It hurts. Channel 2, we had a photographer die suddenly. Corporate respecting people's privacy, you know, has had no official word on what happened. But he was suddenly sick and was gone in two or three days. And all the people who work with him say it was COVID. He worked in the morning. He was on like a, I don't know, 3.30 to 11.30 a.m. shift. So not somebody I worked with. All that stuff shapes your opinion. Stockton's got stuff shaping his opinion. I've got two people that I know personally right now who are dealing with it. And this is during this period where a lot of, like you mentioned, boy, you said 64%. That was the number I saw in a story yesterday. 64% of Utah adults have been vaccinated. 
I know two people personally right now who are dealing with COVID-19. So it's still ongoing. And like you mentioned, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Trevor, I applaud him. It's about time a few more athletes speak out against the COVID lunacy. What about shut up and dribble? Shut up and dribble works when you don't agree with somebody. It doesn't work when you do agree with them. And it's really that simple. Can't believe he's popping off about something he doesn't know. Fill in the blank player, fill in the blank topic. That's what I think, and I'm glad he stood up. I've got more respect for him than ever. That stuff never changes. When I was a, I was a really little kid, and I didn't have any idea why, Muhammad Ali was a big deal, and I can still hear my dad and my grandpa talking about it. My grandpa was pissed. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out why. And my dad was like, whatever, man, that's a big fight. <laughs> and I didn't know what they were talking about. And dad, who explained a lot of sports to me, didn't seem to want to explain that to me. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> now I think I have a little bit of an idea. It came to me later in life. Craig says, well, I've done a lot of research on this, and I've come to the conclusion that there is no proof that he's the best point guard of all time, or even was a point guard. I think he needs to show us his birth certificate. I mean, that guy that played for the Jazz all those years could have actually been a dude named Jim Stickton, for all we know. (laughs) Craig, that's satire. Okay, Craig, well done, sir. Well done. Uh, Court responds to Craig with, this was hilarious. Keep doing your research, Clyde. (laughs) Okay. All right, you can hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook. DJ and PK. Coming up next, I was just uh, in the last break going through Twitter. Oh, my gosh. It's like a trail of breadcrumbs. It's leading you to the promised land. The buffet. The banquet. It is glorious. It's also more cotton candy than it is, you know. Steak and potatoes. It's not the main course. You're not firing up the grill. But when you first see that first trail of peanuts, it's glorious. We'll get to that and what they're saying about the Utes next. Stay with us. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the Top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the Top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. So the Jazz lose, and immediately texts are flying back and forth between members of the sports media about six weeks until college football camp opens. Or they're out on social media like myself. Yeah, some of them are on social media. They weren't all text. You're right. Six weeks to college football. Now, that's practice, not games. But we get another month in, and then away we go. And so it's that time. The breadcrumbs that will lead us to the college football season have begun to appear. What you're about to talk about, I just got a text saying that this version has shown up in my mailbox as of this morning. Phil Steele. A one-man cottage industry, putting together a magazine, spends about an hour talking to college football coaches going over their team, had a former sports information person say, man, 
there are a couple people out there who really do their homework. <laughs> and one of them is Phil Steele. So he's got his Pac-12 projections out, and I have to say, and I will uh, share them with all of you here momentarily, Yach has already paid the freight to get the real deal. But uh, the headline, the prediction is, uh, let me just say, if you just started guessing, you wouldn't be far off. I mean, you need a little background. You can't be up you know, taking total flyers, but that's the point. Phil Steele's not taking flyers either. The teams that are good are largely the teams you think are good. You get the coach, you get the talent pipeline rolling, and nothing changes. <laughs> I mean, if, if I ask most of you, who are the top two teams in the North and who are the top two teams in the South, you'd largely get it. In the North, he's got Washington 1 and Oregon 2. I know you're shocked. Now, I know there are people out there who think Stanford or Cal's ready to make a jump or Stanford's going to be back. Stanford 3, Washington State 4, Cal 5, and Oregon State 6. Oregon was in the state as was in the uh, the state title game. Ha! Oregon was in the Pac-12 title game last year. Washington was the first place team in that shortened season, so we'll all wait for them to play again because we figure that's what's really going to decide things. Stanford, you know, after having double-digit win seasons five times in six years, going to three Rose Bowls and a Fiesta. Stanford's not been the same. Nine and five, nine and four, four and eight, and then twenty twenty. You know that shortened mini season. So that's now twenty sixteen was the last ten win season under Shaw. So we're going back five years now. It's going to be the Tanner McKee era this year. Okay, well. Oh, Time to get it going. There's, there's a debate. Time to bounce back. We got a quarterback battle going on. Now, I do think that when they do these, and we'll get to the South in a second, that when they do these, they shouldn't just list, you know, one, Washington, return, two, Oregon, return. Like, it should be one, Washington, space, two, Oregon. They should be on the same line. And sometimes you have to double space down, right? There's a big break. In the South, Phil Steele has USC 1, Utah 2. Arizona State 3. Now there should be a double space to UCLA. A triple space to Colorado. And then, like, Arizona should be six, but on another page. Have a chasm. This Yes, a chasm. Thank you. A Grand Canyon, if you will, separating Arizona from Utah and everybody else. Jed Fish has got a lot of work to do. This whole listing, one, two, three, four, five, six, assumes that everything's close and everyone's close. And, and we know in the Pac 12, in one or both divisions, you know, there'll be teams tied at five and four, teams tied at four and five. So there may not be much of a gap between third place and fifth place. They might actually even be tied. So I don't think that's really accounted for, you know, the separation. I mean, in the South, if any of the top three wins, top three win the division, it won't be that big a surprise. SC is the favorite, but I don't think it's that far to Utah and ASU. On the other hand, if UCLA, Colorado, or Arizona wins it, it'll be where did they come from? 
In the case of UCLA, it'll be, well, it's about time. When were they going to make that jump? But does anyone really think they're going to open up a reputable preseason magazine and see UCLA one or two? So Phil Steele, Washington one, Oregon two in the north, USC one, Utah two in the south, ASU three. No shockers there. And I think for two reasons, we should see some shockers this year. It comes down to talent. And number one, the transfer portal, guys are changing schools. And it's not, you know, you need the overall talent on the roster. It's always been the problem with recruiting rankings. And I think that it just gets worse now because we got all the transfers. If you take a significant hit in a position group, it can sink your whole team. You could have a lot of talent on your team, but if none of it's in the O-line, uh-oh. You can have a lot of talent on your team, but if you don't have a quarterback, uh-oh. But you know, you can have all the pieces offensively, and you could have NFL linebackers, but if your D-line is just getting shoved off the ball three yards on every snap, what's your record going to be? How many teams are you going to outscore? You might get six, seven, eight wins because you win a bunch of games 45-41, but are you really a championship caliber team? The best are going to handle you if one position group is gutted. So I think because of the transfers, which we're having a hard time assessing, and because we didn't really get a look, especially in the Pac-12, we didn't really get a look at last year. There's going to be two years of development for a lot of these guys. There's going to be stuff that happens that we're not going to have a good read on. And somebody who's totally off the radar has had two years to get bigger, stronger, faster, and watch film, work on the football IQ side of things. And somebody is going to be a much better player. Where did they come from? How did this corner, wide receiver, linebacker, whoever, just explode onto the scene? Well, it's because we didn't get the normal update we get year to year. And so over the course of two years, these guys who are still growing up, still improving physically, mentally, psychologically, there's going to be some people taking big jumps. And if several people do it for one team, then maybe UCLA is finally back to where they should be. Shouldn't they be one of the better teams sitting right in Southern California? And it hasn't been that way for a while now. All right, there's your college football, a little Phil Steele. The magazine is out, and there's your Pac-12 projection. Not that many surprises, but it's college football. And that's why we're going to change the playoff, because there aren't that many surprises. You got about... You got, two, you got two teams penciled in automatically, and you got six teams for four spots. Is Ohio State penciled in as automatically as Alabama and Clemson? That's your big question right there. And then Oklahoma and Georgia and Notre Dame. Is it, it's what we normally have in the NBA, and we don't have this year. Normally in the NBA, I pick two or three teams, you take the field. Eight, nine years out of ten, I got the champion, you don't, I win, you lose. This year, uh-oh, I take two or three teams. I take the Lakers and the Nets. Uh-oh. And college football, I take Alabama and Clemson, Ohio State and Oklahoma, Notre Dame and Georgia. Did I get them all? The Georgia spot rotates. You know, one year it's LSU spot. One year it's Georgia spot. 
There was a time when Big Ten teams like Michigan State could get it, but that, that time's long gone. All right, we got one NFL note. We played this for you an hour ago. Yuck. We have to give them, we have to give the eight o'clock listeners Tom Brady. And normally we would tease this and hold this over you, try to get you to stay during commercial break, but we're not going to do it. We're going to reward you for listening right now. Tom Brady was on uh, an an HBO show or an HBO, one of the HBO podcast deals. I believe it was an HBO podcast. One of their streaming streaming things. OTT, yeah. Yeah. OTT, that's an industry lingo. I like it. Over the top. You know. You're the man. Way to drop the lingo on us. You're lucky PK isn't here today. He would let you have it for OTT. He would have busted me for that He would have busted your chops. Well, aren't you the industry insider? First time I heard OTT, I was in a meeting trying to pretend like I wasn't stupid. Everybody else knew what they were talking about. I'm like, oh, what's OTT? OTT. Oh, what? Trying to figure it out. Google Read between the lines. The clues. <laughs> yeah, you got your phone out below the table. OTT. <laughs> All right, so Tom Brady is asked on this OTT over the top. This is streaming service or whatever it is. Uh, he's asked about uh, the transition from... New England to Tampa Bay, and they get into the other teams that he could have gone to. And I think we can all, you know, play the game. Well, what if he'd gone to San Francisco? What if he'd gone to Tennessee? What if they pushed Breeze out a year early in New Orleans and he'd gone there? You know, you can go on down the line, right? There's the the list of usual suspects. And Tom Brady, (laughs) not everybody loves Tom Brady. Not everybody wants Tom Brady. A fact that seems to confound Tom Brady just a little bit. One of the teams, and they weren't interested at the very end. I was thinking, you're sticking with that mother. <laughs> Don Brady going against type. Dropping that. Somebody didn't want Tom Brady. And there he is, holding his seventh Super Bowl trophy. Temporarily. Before he throws it to somebody in another boat. Did he throw it from a boat to the dock or dock to the boat or was it, it boat, was to, boat, boat. to boat? It was boat to boat. He turned around. I got to get that detail down. Had his teammates say, hey, toss it. And he throws it. And apparently, had that been dropped, it's going in down in about 70 feet of water or something. Oh. Such. <laughs> it would have just been. Man, there's so many scuba diving first. And they're like, I wish that had dropped, get man. The dive we team out We would have gone down there and got it. We would have gotten so much pub. It's 70 feet of water. Okay, it's a lot of water, but it's not an impossible amount of water. So there it is. Tom Brady was rejected by somebody, and he can't believe it. And now everybody wants to know who the team was. Yak is pretty sure it's his Niners. Is that because it really is the Niners, or is that just because uh, you're bummed because uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is uh, the guy everyone likes to complain about? Hey, we got Trey Lance now. Watch out. I don't know. I <laughs> He's from the Bay Area. He's it makes sense he would want to go there because he grew up in Northern California. His parents still live in the Bay Area. Yeah. They never left. He's, he was a Niner Joe Montana fan. There's that picture of him at a Niner playoff game. Yep. So I, I'm i biased, but I think there's something there with the whole Jimmy G connection How and the whole falling out in New England, all that stuff. I think there's something there. But there are people saying Tennessee was I don't part get of that, that, though. The Niners just jettisoned Jimmy G. Trade him for a seventh-round pick and a bag of chips. I mean, why would there be fallout? I don't get that. Here's the deal. Bill Belichick apparently wanted to keep Jimmy G, so why not just ship him right back to New England? And and there's that, too. Sure. Okay. 
I, Why wouldn't you want to keep Jimmy G? Look at the cast of characters that are quarterbacks in New England. Why wouldn't you want Jimmy G at least as an option? And if Cam Newton beats him out, Cam Newton beats him out. Sure. Cam's supposed to be healthier now and the second year in his system and all that kind of stuff. Dennis Lindsay was just talking about that uh, on the Jazz exit interviews. They're going back to this time in Houston and San Antonio that – the second and third year in a system, they see significant improvement from players, right? Bogey will be going into his third year. You know, Joe Ingles is <laughs> Joe Ingles is Joe Ingles. He's seven years he's, in. Yeah, he's seven years in. But for Bogey, it's his third year. For Conley, it's his third year. They can still see improvement in the system. And I so maybe bitter right. 49ers fan who wanted to believe that's what So I get where Belichick would be like, well, I got Cam Newton in the system for the second year. He can be better. And if I get Jimmy G, well, it would have been his first year when they yeah, did it. but you bring Jimmy G back, right. who's already been there. And you get more out of him. All right. Well, I'm just playing after the shock value of Mr. Clean-cut Tom Brady dropping the what? Here's the thing. He puts out of a clean-cut image, but if you talk to people about him when he is playing... He's careful. He's very, it's a very crafted image in the public sphere, but the dude is beloved by his teammates, but he is also a guy who will get Well, right and it's career. also saying that in that area sure. is different than saying it somewhere else. On the there field are different play, level yeah. of expectations in different circumstances. And you can argue there shouldn't be, because I know some of you are cringing right now, but whether there should or shouldn't be, there is. And he played it for shock value. All right, when we come back, Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report, joins us next. Do the Jazz need to have the small ball option? What went horribly wrong? What needs to be added in the offseason? We'll get to that next with Andy Bailey. Jerry Brewer, Washington Post sports columnist. More money for NCAA athletes. We'll get to that at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, and we are brought to you in part by Christian Roberts Mortgage. If you're going to work with an expert for your next home loan, you need to connect with the most referred lender in Utah. Christian Roberts Mortgage, they specialize in jumbo loans. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. I believe Donovan Mitchell. I believe Quinn Snyder. From Rudy Gobert all the way down to Trent Forrest. I believe those guys believed that they were better than the two teams that are currently playing in the Western Conference Finals. And that is what's nauseating. I think this is going to be a year that's going to stick in the craw of Jazz fans for a long time. And when we talk about opportunities and things like that, this is going to be a big what-if kind of year. What if the Jazz were healthy? Huge what-if. What if Donovan doesn't injure the ankle? What if uh, Mike doesn't injure the hamstring? The Jazz are looking at it like, if we're healthy, we didn't lose to a better team. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, we're joined now by Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Andy, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Andy, I think we're going to start off with a question that is on everybody's mind. I'm just going to ask it on behalf of the people. What the bleep just happened, Andy? <laughs> Come on! Man, I it, it was a total meltdown. I think that's what happened. Um, when when the news broke that Kawhi Leonard sprained his knee and was you know out indefinitely, that was sort of the door opening for the Jazz, obviously. I mean, I, I think at that point they were clearly the better team. Um, and, 
I, I still think they have a better roster than a Kawhi-less Los Angeles Clippers. Um, they just got hit with that small ball lineup and, and never made any kind of an adjustment. And I think that's the big takeaway. There's, there's a lot of people today and, you know, the last few days in the national media and elsewhere kind of wringing their hands about Rudy Gobert and how you can't pay him and play him in the playoffs. You can't possibly pay him that contract that he's, he's got. Um, and it just won't work. But I think the bigger takeaway is you just have to be able to adjust. Um, there are 24, 25 teams in the NBA that Rudy Gobert just dominates, and you, you need to have him out there against those teams. But the teams that can go small in the playoffs, we've seen year after year, can go far in the playoffs. And, and Utah has to have some kind of counter for that, even if it's just for a few minutes here and there. Um, you have to be able to stem that tide. When Terrence Mann is hitting <laughs> three after three in the corner and, and yelling at the, the opposing players, I think at one point he was yelling at Gobert, um, <laughs> you've, you've got to have – some other counter. Um, try anything else at some point. I, I think it's a meltdown in a bunch of different ways because, like I said, if you if, if I look at those two rosters even today, I think that the that the Jazz and they weren't healthy either, frankly. Um, but I still think that's a better roster than the Clippers without Kawhi. Totally agree with you on the Jazz health. There's nothing that can really be done about that. I don't think there's enough being talked about about Paul George mm-hmm. just running over Donovan Mitchell away from the ball in garbage time at the yep. end of Game 2. But as much as it would be fun to sit around and complain about that, and that's worth complaining about, and I don't think there's been enough said about that, you know, c- coaches tell players, control what you can control. So now I think the message for the players, the coaches, and the front office is, well, control what you can t- control. You can't control Paul George running Donovan over. You can't control that Donovan and, and Mike Conley had the injuries in the regular season that sidelined him the last month of the regular season. What can you control? Well, from a player perspective, the f- first thing I would go, as long as we're on the small ball thing, before we get to the front office perspective, Rudy, you got to punish small ball lineups. Yeah, You've got to punish them. There have to be more dunks. There have to be coaches who say, I know we want to go small ball, but if we put this 6'8 guy out there who shoots threes, okay, a, a Morris-type player, we're in trouble. Like, we're giving up two every possession at the other end. Between Donovan Mitchell getting layups, I realized Donovan couldn't really drive because he was hurt, right? Between Donovan Mitchell layups and Rudy Gobert dunks, like, they're going to score two points every time down the floor. So I feel like that's the first thing that's got to happen is Rudy's got to punish small ball lineups. I think that's true. Um, and I don't, I don't want to sound like the biggest Gobert apologist <laughs> in the media right now, and maybe, maybe that's my title. I'll own it if it is. Um, he, he needs to punish smaller lineups, but he's, he's never been a post-up guy, and I don't think he needs to be. Um, a, a big part of Gobert punishing smaller lineups falls on the guards and the wings on that team. And, and I, you know, I don't think it was as bad as it was a couple years ago when, when there were clips of Gobert going around the Internet, jumping up and down the lane and screaming at his teammates for not getting him the ball. But there were still times in that series where he's – roll into the rim and the only guy between him and the basket is somebody like Reggie Jackson or Marcus Morris or Nick Batum. Um, and that, that ball's got to be there. Um, and, and I, you know, a lot of people have countered me online saying, well, he can't catch the ball. Um, he can't, you know, make a move if he does get it. So get it to him high, throw him a lob. Um, uh, you're totally, I, I believe this a hundred percent. Don't throw the ball to Rudy. 
throw the ball towards the rim and let him yeah. go get it. And when he's Absolutely. going to the rim to get it, I think then the numbers are off the charts in his he's favor. One of the best, right, one of the best lob finishers in the league. And frankly, he he hasn't played with a great lob passer um, maybe his whole career. I mean, even when Ricky Rubio was there, there were all those stories about how he just wasn't used to throwing lobs. Um, and Conley was coming from playing with Gasol for. 10 or 15 years or whatever it was, he's certainly not a lob finisher. Um, you know, Mitchell obviously has time to develop that part of his game. But when I watch, you know, these, these guys are kind of anomalies, so you can't expect to have someone like this necessarily. But you, you watch a lob passer like Trey Young or James Harden, and you think, man, what would Rudy Gobert do with somebody like that setting him up? Um, you know, I, I think with a really good lob passer, he's probably close to 20 points a game. Um, and certainly, if teams go small, he's going to destroy them. And and I I love the way that you express that. It's it's just throw the ball to the rim, and let him go get it because his length is is pretty much unparalleled. He's pretty explosive for a guy of his size. Um, so I think, you know, certainly it's on him to a degree, but it's also on those teammates to get him the ball where he can be successful. And I think simple pick and rolls with lobs, I, I think, would have torn those smaller lineups apart. The Utah Jazz in the regular season were 21 and 15 on the road. In the playoffs, they went, they, they were good in Memphis. They went 2 and 0 in Memphis, but they went 0 and 3 in LA. Not only did they go 0 and 3, just like the toughness, the grit, the resilience, I thought it was lacking in all three of the losses. There were just times they had that look in their eye like, we're not going to get it done. We know we're not going to get it done. And we don't really know what we should change now, but we just know this isn't working. What are they going to do? And 21 and 15 is not a horrible road record. It's not the best road record in the league, but it's not far off it. So it's not yeah, like they I mean, were terrible. The Suns were the best team on the road. And then the Nuggets, and then I think the Jazz are tied for third with the Clippers. So they're not terrible in the regular season, but in the playoffs. Yeah, did that bug you, the look in their eye in the three road games? Yeah, I mean, you're right. 21-15 and 15 is a solid road record, and there was, I think there is something to what you're saying. There's Every year in the postseason, or when the postseason starts, um, there's always this little bit of me and it's been this way for the last few years because last year it was the bucks this year it was the jazz there are these teams that just have ridiculous regular season numbers historic regular season numbers frankly i think it was the bucks maybe two years ago had one of the best um simple rating system which combines point differential and strength of schedule i think they had like top 10 in the league um and so i look at that as a numbers guy and think well of course they should win the title um but then there's this little piece of me that just it's it's sort of intangible um you know numbers can't really measure it i always trust guys who've done it before um <laughs> as i say this i realize it doesn't really apply to that clippers team after Kawhi went down um but it's just there's there's like a safety in predicting that Kawhi leonard will prevail or a safety in predicting that lebron will prevail um and i think for teams that haven't gone all the way there is a possibility that you get in those moments where, you know, you're on the road, like you said, and a run starts and you kind of tighten up. Um, you, you, you know, go away from the things that made you so good in the regular season. Maybe your shots come up a little bit short. Um, maybe, maybe you try to do a hero ball thing instead of throwing it up to the rim for Rudy. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying that specifically about any one player. I think there's just a combination of things 
that can happen for a team um, that hasn't done it before. And it's kind of weird to say that about the Jazz because they are playoff tested. I mean, they've gone to the postseason every year for a while now. Um, but they haven't gotten too deep into the playoffs. And so those moments may still kind of um, back them down, I guess, for lack of a better term. I, I think you're on to something there. Andy Bailey joining us here to talk uh, playoffs, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. So off season, I think there's three different things the Jazz front office can do with the roster uh, that that everybody's onto, and I don't, also don't think there's a chance they'll go three for three. If they do, I'll be really impressed. And Dennis Lindsay will be up there for Executive of the Year again. But they need more size on the guard line. They need uh, yep. the longer athletic wing defender, somebody to pair with Royce O'Neal, who even Dennis in his exit interviews alluded to. There are situations where he's a great defender and other situations that are a little bit more of a challenge for him. Uh, isolated at the top of the key is a little bit more of a challenge for him. Put him on the side where the sideline helps him a little bit and you accentuate his strength, he's a better defender. Put him in the middle floor with quickness, that, that might be an issue and someone might be able to blow by him down the lane. We saw that in the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. So long, a long wing defender to pair with Royce, uh, a big guard to mix in that rotation when you need to match up, and then a small ball five option because they didn't really have a small ball lineup. Some people want to play Ilya Silva. I think they'd seen enough out of him defensively to think that that was not going to work. So those three things, are you on with uh, – are there any of those you don't agree with? Would you prioritize one over another? I, I think you're right on um, with all of those. And like you said, it would be very difficult to go three of three. It might even be hard to go two of three. Um, but if you, get, <laughs> if you get one, it's better than the situation that you're in right now. I think the first one that you identified is one that's not talked about enough. Um, the size of their starting backcourt is just really small. Uh, this season when they finally made players – list their heights without their shoes. I think Conley and Mitchell both came in at six one. Um and, and Mitchell can mitigate that a little bit with his wingspan. Um but there are just a lot of backcourts that are gonna be able to look right over the top of you if you if you have two starting guards who are six one. Um and I you know, you somebody may correct me on this, um, listening, but I think Royce O'Neal was even listed at six four after they, you know, changed the way that they list heights. So he's not big either. He looks bigger on the floor to me. Um, but he's not six eight Nicholas Batum. He's not six eight six nine Marcus Morris. Um, so if you come up against a team like the Clippers, and and another thing I think that should be noted is the Clippers were probably the worst possible matchup for the Jazz. I mean this this was the team that could expose all of this, and there may not have been another team left in the playoffs that could to this degree. And Phoenix has some wings that are kind of similar, so maybe the same thing would have happened against Phoenix. But I think the Clippers are the worst possible matchup in terms of all this stuff. Um, when you come up against a team with a bunch of guys in that six six to six eight range who can all shoot a little bit, who can all dribble a little bit, um, it's just it's gonna be a huge problem. Um and and I think whether it's a wing defender, a bigger guard, or a small ball five, anyone who can contain on the perimeter a little bit better would have helped because there was there were stretches in the second half of that last game where it was just blow by after blow yep. by. And then all of a sudden Rudy Gobert is in this terrible, you know, what do I do? <laughs> do I protect the rim or do I go get Terrence Mann? And I think he, he made the calculation and it's probably a fair one to, to protect the rim. And so over and over and over, he's late getting out to man. And those are the highlights that get shared on the internet is him, you know, being a second or two late to man. Um, but <laughs> 
if you're in that situation, what else are you going to do? I mean, you, you can give up a layup or give a, give up a three, and obviously the three's worth more points, but nobody wants to give up layups. Um, so he was in a terrible bind. So <clears throat> this is a long-winded answer, but I agree that those are three things that they need. If they can even get one of them, it helps. Um, you know, I, I'm not a guy who's a big G League aficionado, but I, I still kind of wonder what's going on with Jarrell Brantley. I mean, maybe he's a guy who can play small ball five for a few minutes here and there. Um, I, I don't think they had great options this uh, season, and, and so, yeah, those are going to be priorities this offseason. But I just can't help but think they should have tried something, try anything in that second half, even if it's Joe Ingles at the five. <laughs> I mean, he's he's not fleet of foot, obviously, compared to a lot of other guys, but he's not going to be any slower than Nicholas Batum. Um, so those, I, I think you've identified three important things that they got to go after, and even if they get one or two, I think it's a successful offseason. So there's another part of me that says this really sucks because it looked so wide open. But yep. for a team that, uh, you know, this group hadn't been out of the first round the last couple of years, that's not the profile of a champion. Now, like you say, Phoenix might end up winning this, and Phoenix hadn't even been in the playoffs in a decade, so that's not the profile of a champion either. So, you know, I, Milwaukee, I guess, is the one team that if they win it, you can say, well, they were building towards it, and this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because the Atlanta Hawks and the Phoenix Suns are coming out of nowhere, historically speaking, and that shouldn't happen you know maybe the Clippers or Bucks you understand a little more but not the Clippers without Kawhi so only the Bucks would fit the model of what how a champion should progress having said that the Jazz are on a progression path Stockton and Malone didn't get there until their seventh and eighth years and required a first round upset to give them an easier opponent in the second round to get to the Western final. So shouldn't everybody stand back even though, well, that's never going to happen and I'm asking the impossible. No, I think you're looking at it the rational way. Um, Well, who's got time for that? (laughs) I don't think there are, and I kind of understand why so many people are irrational at this point. It's been, I think, 10, 15, 20 years in the NBA of a pattern being established that if you don't get it done in two or three years, it's time to break it up. Um, where, I mean, you bring up a great example with the 90s Jazz and how long it took them to get to the finals. Um, It took Michael Jordan quite a while to get to his first finals. And that was sort of the model in the past. We've gone away from that now. Um, And we're in this, we're in this. Super teams. (laughs) Yeah, super teams, turnover. If you don't, if you don't have a superstar, you can't win. Um, And if you don't get it done in two or three years, you got to try something else. And so I think there will be a temptation to look at this roster and say, well, you know, we've, we've gotten cooked by a small ball lineup a few times in the playoffs. Um, maybe we explore the mark, explore the market for Rudy Gobert. I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea. Um, Cause like I said, against 24, 25 teams, he is dominant. I mean, he, I, I looked this number up the other day in the last five seasons, the only player in the league with a better total plus minus than Gobert is Stephen Curry. Um, if you trade Gobert and suddenly the team's built around Mitchell, I mean, it might work, but you could also be, you know, seventh or eighth in the playoffs next season. You'd be the, I think you'd Gobert, be the, you'd be the Portland Trailblazers. For sure. I mean, you'd be in a very similar situation. That's a great comparison. Um, Gobert is a guy that, that almost guarantees you a top five defense and gives you a really good shot at home court advantage every single season. And so I don't, I think it's way too early to pull the plug on that. Um, 
I think what you got to do, and this is more difficult to do, especially with the size of Gobert's contract, um, but you have to be able to adjust for those four or five teams that can punish you when you have Gobert on the floor. You have to have some other option that you can go to, even if it's you know 10 minutes in the second half, 15 minutes in the second half. There's got to be some kind of an adjustment available um, because every year, especially in the Western Conference, we see year after year, there's at least two or three teams towards the end that can do that. They can they can deploy those positionless lineups that can hurt you from the outside, and, and we've seen that that's trouble for Gobert and the Jazz. So to go back to that whole building thing where the Jazz, uh, it takes seven or eight years, depending on which player you're talking about, for Stockton Malone to get to a conference final, and then they go to five conference finals in seven years, and we all get spoiled. Yeah. And by the way, I showed up in town at exactly the right time. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> But that team, the win in 92, the first one, they moved everybody on the roster. They lost to the Blazers in the conference finals in six and uh, the Clyde Drexler group, right? And so they walk off. They lose that series. They walk off. That's the spring of 92. By the fall of 94, 18 months later, there's only three guys left on the roster. Stockton, Malone, Benoit. They flip Everybody else. And because they went five times in seven years and because they kept a couple, you know, the, the stars together, nobody really notices that. So yeah. the people who are screaming, oh, go bear, I'm like, wow. No, because of all the reasons you said. But the roster right now is set up where there's a guy or two around Gobert and uh, Donovan Mitchell whose contract comes up every year. It's Conley and Niang this year, Niang being the ninth guy in the rotation. It's Ingles the next year. It's Bogey and Favors the year after that. It's Royce O'Neal and Jordan Clarkson after that. So the roster is set up to flip if that's what they decide needs to be done. Some of these guys are younger, some of these guys are older, and that will you know, obviously inform the decision. But they're there to flip a guy or two every year, and then if you accelerate it with a trade... I don't know if it'll be as dramatic as what they did in 92, but this roster could change dramatically. I don't think it changes dramatically this summer because Dennis Lindsay just said, we see in Houston, when he was in Houston, and in San Antonio, now in Utah, we've seen guys in their second or third year really make big steps forward. This will be year three for Conley if he resigns. This will be year three for Bogey. So, but if they get to another year and, you know, if they go out in the first round next year, well, then there's going to be massive roster turnover. I don't think it will involve Gobert and Mitchell, but beyond Gobert and Mitchell, it might involve anybody because you've got a lot of guys who will either be free agents or only have one year left on their deal. So it seems to me that's the timeline for massive change. Yeah, I think you could be onto something there. And I, I don't necessarily think that anything should be off table over the next few years probably donovan mitchell um because and i you know, i should be stronger than probably even. <laughs> mitchell um, they're, they're, yeah. go ahead i mean mitchell's they're, they're the guy so didn't didn't guys. you didn't yeah. you watch him in the playoffs on one angle score 39 and have nine <laughs> rebounds and nine assists and think he's doing this and they know he can't drive and jump and he's going for yeah. 39 and nine to me bubble mitchell that w- he just happened to be in a bubble that's who he is doesn't have anything to do with yeah. shooting background and travel you can ride Mitchell as a number one scoring option to an NBA title. The last two years, three playoff series have convinced me. I'm I'm with you there, and yeah, I think probably was too light of a word to use there. I mean, he's he's ridiculous. I think when I looked it up, he's got the fifth highest playoff scoring average in in league history. 
um, the guys behind guys like Durant and, and Jordan. I mean, he's in rarefied air there. Um, and I think it's especially impressive, as you just said, that he was doing it on one leg here in the last couple of games against the Clippers. So let's put him off the table. Um, I don't necessarily think that they should rule out a Gobert trade. I think that they should have to be blown away by an offer for that to happen, and I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think other teams in the league, after what just happened in the playoffs, are going to blow that Jazz away with an offer. Um, so those two guys are probably set. Um, and like you said, there, there are opportunities for turnover over the next few years. I've, I've brought this up on your show and elsewhere a bunch of times. I, I am concerned about the size of a Conley-Mitchell backcourt, but I don't know what else you do if you let Mike Conley walk. You don't have cap space suddenly if you don't re-sign him. They're already over the cap. Um, so, you know, I don't know if it's a two- or a three-year deal for Conley, whatever it may be, um, but you might have to sign him because you just you can't really lose that asset. Um, so I think you're right. I think the timeline might be pushed out another year or two before there are big changes made. I think as far as top twos go, there really aren't many that get better than Mitchell and Gobert and still have some potential to grow. I think, I think there are still some steps that Mitchell can take. Um, you know, Gobert's probably a finished product at this point. And I, you know, I'm not one of those guys who thinks he needs to add a jump hook or anything like that. I think he can score 16, 17 points a game as a lob finisher. Um, so I think they've got a great top two. And I think over the next couple of years, if they don't break through next season, um, yeah, they're, they're going to have to start thinking about adjusting that roster a little bit. I don't care about Gobert shooting 15-footers. we got people tweeting at no. us. I don't think he needs to add that. I just think he needs to be able to finish through contact when he's inside of five feet. Yeah, I think if, you, you know, if he's got Reggie Jackson on him or something like that, you should be able to dump it to him and he turns and dunks. Um, I, I think that should be the extent of his post moves. I don't even necessarily think he needs like a drop step. Um, you know, it'd be nice if he could add something like that. But I think he gives you a decent amount of offense already with what he's got. But I think I think that point that you just made is very fair. If if he's got a guy who's five, six, seven inches shorter than him, um, you know, it should be a little bit easier to punish them for that. Andy, I have many questions about the NBA and the NBA playoffs. We'll have to get to them another time. But real quick, uh, who's in the finals and who wins? What a crazy conference finals right um <laughs> yeah I, I think the safe pick is probably phoenix and milwaukee in the finals just because Kawhi's out like we've said a bunch of times and i i'm i'm gonna say milwaukee i mean you can hear me starting the word phoenix but i'm gonna say milwaukee <laughs> it's such a tough call right now i think it would be a cool story if chris paul broke through um i i think I think Milwaukee's just a little bit more talented at the top. I'm, as I say this, I'm kind of you know thinking through the rosters in my head, and I'm not so sure. Um, but just for the sake of giving you a pick, I'll say Milwaukee. Andy, we appreciate the time. Look forward to having you again on the show down the road. Appreciate it. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. Join us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Jerry Brewer, Washington Post sports columnist. On the NCAA case and how much this is going to change life and how it'll work differently for the Utes, the Cougars, the Aggies, and the Wildcats. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. The Big Show, the Big Show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
I get why the fan base is grumpy. That is one heck of a way to lose not only a basketball game, but to lose a series. I've seen a lot of fans being very angry and yelling for this and that, and others saying you're not being reasonable, blah, 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 back and forth. But they're really disappointed because these Jazz fans have invested a lot into their team, and the expectations were so high for this team. You start the series by winning two straight games, and then you drop four straight? After last year complaining about losing three straight and how much you had learned from that, you go out and lose four straight? That's a difficult thing for fans to absorb. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5, 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Summer LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-2080. That's Davis Vision. I'm of the opinion that things change right in front of you and you don't always notice it. And what you notice is new things happening, new trends, but you don't necessarily notice when old things stop happening. I think players are becoming, and this isn't just an NBA thing, this is an NFL, MLB thing, players are becoming small corporations. There's so much money at stake, you know, as far as hiring support people, hiring your own trainer, right, your own, your own medical people, your own doctor, that kind of stuff. That kind of came to the forefront with Donovan Mitchell uh, when he had to sit out the playoff game, the Jazz didn't clear him, his personal people thought he could play. Um, they hire their own chefs. They hire their own workout guru. You might hire your own shooting coach or whatever. Um, kind of came to a light with the Broncos, right? Because the, the Bronco player who got hurt and now isn't getting paid because he didn't get hurt at the, at the club site. One James. Right. And he got hurt out on his own working out with his own people. So becoming these small corporations. And so I think there's less craziness. Now, we still have NBA players going to strip clubs. But I think there's less of that. And some things change. I mean, you're not on the road as many nights because you're flying charter, not commercial. So you're not staying overnight one more night when some craziness had happened because there's no game the next day. Hey, I got to get them five hours anyway. Might as well just go to the club. And so some stuff ch- has changed that too. But there are still crazy stories out there. I just don't think there are as many of them. But here's a crazy one for you. And I don't know where this is going. This is the first I've heard of it. But I'm going to share the headlines and you're going to be amazed. Kansas City Chiefs defensive end Frank Clark was arrested in Los Angeles after police saw a... I'm letting you pause. You're going to fill in. Clearly, there's a noun that goes there. They saw something, right? Kansas City Chiefs defensive end Frank Clark was arrested in Los Angeles after police saw a submachine gun in his car Sunday. Still happens. I think there's less of this going on. But, wow. Clark 28 was pulled over for a vehicle violation south of downtown at about 9.20 p.m. on Sunday. And officers noticed a bag with an Uzi sticking out in plain sight in the car, and he was arrested on suspicion of a concealed firearm in, a vehicle, in his vehicle. Clark's attorney, Alex Spiros, said the gun belonged to Clark's bodyguard. Again, small corporations are hiring bodyguards. Clark was also arrested in March along with another man when officers said they found two loaded guns in their vehicle after a traffic stop, according to CHP records. It's just an arrest. It's an allegation at this point. Everybody gets their day in court. But there's a headline that just kind of catches your eye. What? An Uzi. All what? right. Handheld machine. And then guns. what else is going on? Because yeah. I don't think that happens just out of the middle of nowhere. No. So what else is going on? 
All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, Jerry Brewer, Washington Post sports columnist. The Utes, the Cougars, the Aggies, the Wildcats, everybody impacted, but not everybody impacted the same way as the NCAA has a court case decided in front of the Supreme Court, and the NCAA lost 9 to nothing. That's a complete and total blowout in sports terms. It's a route. It's a sweep. So what does this mean? What does it mean on the field? What does it mean uh, for recruiting? We'll get to that with Jerry Brewer next. Stay with us. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Jerry Brewer, Washington Post sports columnist. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Jerry, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, DJ. Thanks for having me. You know, I was actually in Salt Lake City for three days last week. Anything to do with the NBA playoffs, perhaps? You know what? No, it, it, it's for it's for a bigger project that um, that I'm working on, which is kind of crazy. Like it was killing me to be there. I, I got there um, the the last home game. Um, I can't even remember which what, was a game five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was there for game five and game six. But it was cool to be able to, to uh, watch it just as a fan with the fans. And um, that's tough because I really like that Utah team. And they absolutely should have won that series considering the way it went. Oh, now you're just sucking up to Jazz fans because that's what all Jazz fans think too. I can't believe they lost that series. It was so wide open. If we all had a dollar for every time we heard that. Kawhi, especially after Kawhi got hurt. But, oh, you know, no. I mean, um, Ty Lue – just made some masterful adjustments. Yep. And, you know, them, them being able to eliminate the the effectiveness on defense of Rudy Gobert was, was incredible. And um, we see, we just, we've seen that happen before with Ty Lue. You know, we saw it happen in the Dallas series. We saw it happen when he was in Cleveland against Golden State, down 2-0, then down 3-1. Uh, he's just never going to give up. And, at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the Jazz just weren't quite flexible enough uh, to make a deep playoff run, which is just disappointing because for about 75% of this season, I saw a team that was a championship-caliber team, but they just lost a little bit at the end. Well, Jerry, we could spend the entire rest of the segment breaking this down, yeah. and goodness knows yeah. I'm tempted to right now. And the funny thing is, when you came on, I was like, this is an interesting topic I want to talk to him about. But not knowing you and thinking, if he's a little dry, people's eyes are just going to glaze over and roll into their back of the head, which would be really bad for traffic on I-15 right now. <laughs> um, we had you on to talk about the NCA case and, you know, Supreme Court rules 9-0. And it's not everything, but it just keeps pushing the envelope on how much money players can get and what amateurism rules should really look like. And we can get into some big esoteric decision, but, but people really want to know if their team's going to win. And then the savvy fan wants to know, well, are there some built-in advantages that are either going to pump up my team or drag my team down and give the opponent an advantage? And so when you see what they decided, and, and this isn't opening the door to paying players completely, but you can now give them stuff that helps them academically that isn't available to the regular student body. So I'm thinking everybody gets like MacBooks right away. I don't know, maybe everybody gets a PC and a MacBook so that you can learn under any circumstances on any network 
Uh, I don't know. How is this? How much more stuff are players going to get? And I guess the question is, at what level? You know, at the Power Five level, they get more stuff. But are the Group of Five teams not going to be able to afford it? Because we get you fans listening who have Pac-12 money. We got BYU as BYU money, but is neither exactly P5 or G5. We got Utah State. They got Mountain West money, which isn't the same. We got Weaver State fans. We have Big Sky money. So who's getting the most money out of all of this? You're always going to look at, at the biggest conferences, um, and, and they will figure out ways. They have broader resources. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think there, there could be um, what one unintended consequence is just that the gap gets bigger you know we'll see um how the how everything is going to be interpreted and how creative you can get is just kind of the questions you know i mean i think um you know study abroad opportunities for instance are just going to be incredibly robust now and schools are going to go crazy offering that um whatever the most souped up technological things, uh, you know, even tangentially related to education, um, they're going to figure that out um, and, and find certain loopholes. You know, I even had somebody theorize that um, the way scholarships are offered are going to be different um, in that they might even formulate like a lifetime scholarship that, uh, you know, you so you can tell these kids who are only planning on being in school one or two years or the kids who um, may think they have a pro career um, that you know you you will have your education paid for um, as as long as you're willing to take classes, um, which uh, might entice some people. Um, uh, and, you know, it's kind of weird when you say that because it's like, well, um, most of these guys who are going to leave school early. Um, I'm not sure that they're really caring about getting a college degree. Um, but I think that, that, that could pay dividends like on the middle and the bottom of your roster and on non-revenue sports as well, being able to create those kind of enticements and saying, we're going to walk with you for your entire life until you get that degree. Um, that could be something that could be particularly appealing in recruiting when you're trying to woo parents. Um, so I think there's a million other things that, uh, coaches and, and administrators are going to think of that we haven't even considered in this moment. Um, but ultimately, this is just, uh, I feel like um, it's a little more of a step towards fairness, but it opens up a whole world of possibilities in terms of, um, you know, if another case is, is brought through the courts all the way up to the Supreme Court. Doesn't that seem inevitable? I mean, there's going to be another case, and they're going to, it's going to push, it's going to move that line back even more. Why, and I guess we know the answer, but how long until it's just a free-for-all and it's just professional? Because under the table, it seems like it already is. I mean, the, the number of ex-coaches or assistant coaches will run around and tell you this player got twenty five grand, this player got fifty grand, this player got eighty grand. Uh, there, there's no end to those folks. Yeah, I think it's time for like you know amateurism. It feels like the way the NCAA is defined is kind of like prohibition. Like you've created all of these problems, just go ahead and make more things legal. I think for the NCAA, it's it's a change or get changed. Do you want to be litigated to change or do you want to change? And I think this is really that moment um, in which stop being ro- rigid, 
stop having this robust rule book that you can't even govern because you don't know all the rules. Um, stop being ridiculous and try to figure something out because if you can figure something out and bring all your brain power together, uh, you could, you could create a model that, that satisfies, that is well thought. Or it could just be chaos. You know, when the courts just say you can do this, then you can do it in whatever fashion you want to do it. And you don't want to be in that place. So um, we're in this moment in which uh, Coach K, Roy Williams, you know, all these coaches um, are, are leaving the sport. And when you look at the ages of people like Nick Saban, Jim Beheim, so on and so forth, um, there's going to be more coaches that are leaving because they already feel the way the times are going. If you listen to Coach K, you know, he's been a really big advocate in college basketball, having a college basketball commissioner and being more creative in the way that you solve the problems with the sport. Like that moment is here. Like there's no long, you can no longer fight and hope that people are going to save you. You know, they're hoping, they hoped that the Supreme Court was going to save them. Guess what? They're not going to be your savior. They're hoping that the Congress is going to save them. Guess what? Um, the way Congress is, I mean, if you think you're going to get 60 votes, um, to be able to have some sort of antitrust protections, that's not happening. Like, like look at the way um, on, on the left and the right, the, the way that they're looking at big business and monopolies right now. Like, they're not, you're not going to get the votes. Um, you're going to have to solve this yourself, or you're going to have the courts come in and do something that is just going to obliterate the way that you do things. I love the word obliterate. It's so decisive. Obliterate the way you do things. You know, it already, generationally, uh, it's already changed a lot in the last 10 or 20 years. So what's different in another 10 or 20 years? Yeah, I mean, a lot can be if you don't get control of it. I mean, just look at it. Uh, You know, if you really, I I don't want to go into the weeds of of that Supreme Court case, but, um, you know, they were arguing a 1984 case, you know, uh, NCAA versus the Board of Regents of the University of Oklahoma. And uh, looking at that as precedent, and I think a lot of what this Supreme Court was telling you is that college athletics has changed so much in those, what, 37 years. Mm Mm-hmm. And they've it's especially exploded the last two decades. You know what I'm saying, DJ? Yeah, like me too. When the, the, the last two decades, they've just really gotten out of control um, with, uh, with 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 their revenue generation and like generating that revenue and not dispersing it and not putting it um, back into the players in some way. You know, I'm I'm not necess- I'm not a big like just open your wallet and pay the players type of guy. Um, and that's probably just because I'm just bolted by the tradition of college athletics as opposed to, like, any real logic. Um, but I, I think there's there are just other ways for you to adjust and to be fair and to be seen as fair and to be seen as, like, trying to be more than using your ideals uh, to create a sham. And they got to get to that place. Um, and if they don't get to that place, somebody's going to force them to that place. It seems like the the PR thing that just is haunting the colleges is because they they have put the money into facilities, and so players have outstanding facilities that uh, that that two generations ago people couldn't even dream of. 
but they haven't figured out how to put it in people's pockets, which is ultimately what people want. The only pockets it's going in is a couple of high-profile coaches and assistant coaches and the AD, and it's such, if you talk to ADs and coaches, they know it's such a bad look. This person can only have $10,000 or $20,000 or $40,000, but they might shred their knee. And this person over here gets $4 million. It's a yeah. horrific, just, the, just on the surface, before you know anything about the sport, it's a horrific look, the income disparity. Yes, um, you're, you're absolutely right there. Um, uh, yeah, and, and I, I look, you, you can't just open up and say we're going to pay the players when you look at like the way the model is and you look at how it funds all the non-revenue sports and so on and so forth. You have to change the entire business model, but you're right. Like there, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, toothpaste that can go back into the tube in terms of facilities, in terms of uh, coaches' salaries, and so on and so forth. Like you, you'll never be able to just artificially uh, put a put a cap on that, but you can uh, get to the point where you're saying, well. If we're allotting money, if we're shifting money, Nick Saban doesn't have to make ten, eleven million dollars a year. I mean, come on. Um, at Clemson, uh, uh, Dabo Sweeney can't make nine million or whatever he's making, and you have million-dollar coordinators, which is just unbelievable. Like that, it's gotten to that point. I mean, their staff and uh, credit Dabo for for asking for it. Um, and getting it and, and taking care of his people so he can have retention uh, within the system. But it's just asinine that they make all of this and then you're like this adamant, like, keep college athletics pure. Like, what is pure about you making $40 million over the next four years? Um, and your players, like, having rules as such that they can't even – get a laptop for free, you know, like um, they're just like, there has to be uh, a better way. There just has to be a better way. And you, you, you have to figure it out. Um, Because again, like the way everything is telling you that you're not going to like the way that this ends. If you don't take control of change, you just can't, it's not about holding on to the way things used to be. And it's not about holding on to power. If you do that, you're gonna. I mean, everything is gonna come crumbling. Last thing before we let you go, Jerry. I'm I'm really curious, and everybody here in Utah is always really interested when it, the rest of the nation writes about Utah. What are they saying about us? What do we think? So, what's the special project? Can we know? Is it top secret? What what special yeah, project it's, brought it's, you to it's Utah? Not even, you know, it, it's um, you know, I we I can't tell you all about the project, but um, I can tell you I. I um, Part of it was going to Provo um, to, to talk to um, former Senator uh, Jeff Flake. Um, I can tell you that, but it's like a big, it's a big project that won't even see the light of the day for another three months. Um, so it doesn't even feel real to me yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's um, only like loosely uh, a sports story. So I'm excited about it and. Uh, when it's done, I will be sure that you know, and, and you'll figure out that's why I was in Utah, but we're kind of all over the country um, doing different bits and pieces for the story. All right. Well, you got me intrigued, and uh, we'll try to have you back on when, uh, when the story's published, and we'll talk about it then. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Jerry.
All right, take it easy. Jerry Brewer, Washington Post sports columnist. Join us to talk NCA and uh, a little bit of NBA and Senator Flake. Didn't see that coming. Did not see that coming at all. What I did think about while he was talking is, you know, every there's always there's a new rule, and then there's loopholes around the rule, and how do I maximize it? And we're talking computers, Yak. So the first thing is everybody gets a computer, right? But in the wealthiest programs where they can afford it, everybody gets a computer every year. And, hey, freshman, you're getting one as a sophomore. If you don't pass that down, that still fabulous computer, to your uh, you know, 15 or 12 or 10-year-old you know, brother or sister or whatever, what are you thinking? They're going to be outfitting the family, Yach. There'll be new stuff every year. Well, here's the thing. There's going to be more legal challenges based off what the Supreme Court did yesterday that are going to open up more and more avenues for these athletes to make money. We all know the name, image, and likeness thing is coming. Just pay them already. But it's they don't want to make them employees, but just pay them already because they're paying them under the table. Yeah, I know. But the stories are rampant. Bring it back above board. Figure it out. Bring it back above board. When was it above board? Okay, okay, <laughs> good point. Okay, I, I that's a mistake on my part because it's always been below board. Yeah, you know? I mean you go back to the fifties and the hundred dollar oh, handshake no, deal, go, right? Go, go back to the eighteen nineties. Really? If you really read back, it's been dirty from the get go. Money can't be involved. Yeah, money's always involved. Money is always So it's involved. dirty from the get-go. Money talks. All right, DJ and PK, we'll get you up to speed on what you've missed in this show. Jazz, John Stockton, NBA, next. Stay with us. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30. Presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON. On your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. 975-1280 the zone and the zone sports network. We haven't been told and um, it's just a day to day, but you know, just having him on the court and his presence, uh, his ability to communicate with the other players, I think it's such a big plus. And Chris has brought that leadership and, and Monty continues to talk about it. That's Ann Myers Drysdale. I don't know how many of you know about Ann Myers Drysdale. She was an Awesome athlete at UCLA. Basketball, but I think someone tells me she's like multi-sport, but I don't know. She did play multiple sports. She played softball, track, what was it? I believe it was softball. I have to double check. Volleyball? There's a lot of basketball-volleyball combos. Might have been softball. Uh, and then uh, had a tryout with the Indiana Pacers back in the day, and then married Don Drysdale, the legendary Dodger pitcher turned Dodger broadcaster. She's talking about Chris Paul's status and leadership there. Chris Paul, will he play tonight? Game two. Uh, Kawhi Leonard is out. I think, I think Chris Paul is out as well. Uh, Yach, have you seen anything official on Chris Paul being out? Nothing officially yet. They listed him as day-to-day. They're trying to be careful with this. but Of course, the Clippers were 0-2 in the first series with Dallas and 1-7. 0-2 with the Jazz and 1-6. First team to go down 0-2 in back-to-back series and advance. Are they going to go down 0-2 a third time, and will it be fatal? This is kind of like the Nuggets story last year when they were down 3-1 to the Jazz and won, 3-1 to the Clippers and won, got down 3-1 to the Lakers, and got beat. Okay, so Ann Myers attended Cornelia Connolly High School and then later Sonora High School in La Habra, California. Seven sports, DJ. Good grief. 
And Myers had it going on. A little bit of an athlete there. He competed in softball, badminton, field hockey, tennis, basketball, among others. What's her official title slash role with the Suns now? She is a vice president with the Phoenix Suns currently. All right, that game is tonight. Game two in the West, 7 o'clock on ESPN. And Kawhi Leonard is out, and Marcus Moore Sr. is questionable after injuring his right knee and playing just five minutes in the second half of game one. Uh, Clippers assistant Chauncey Billups, Spurs assistant Becky Hammond getting second interviews with the Blazers. There's a lot of speculation that Chauncey Billups is going to get that job. Uh, Team USA putting the Olympic team together. Donovan Mitchell was in the 57-player pool, but his decline to join the team is going to rehab his right ankle. Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Damian Lillard. Bam Adebayo and James Harden are in. Harden's still kind of iffy. The hamstring's got to get healthy. Steph Curry has declined, as has Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Mike Conley is in the 57-player pool. We'll see if he gets called. My guess is he won't, but he might. You don't know. Uh, He has said that if he gets called, he's in. He's all about it. He'd love to do it. He said that in the exit interviews on Saturday. So there's the NBA news to catch you up on. We had Andy Bailey on, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. I think there's three things the Jazz need to target as far as the roster in the offseason. A bigger guard to put in the rotation with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, who are both about 6'1". Uh, an athletic wing defender. They need someone who's 6'7", 6'8", and is long. Royce O'Neal usually takes that 6'7", 6'8", guy. He's 6'4". He's given up some size. They could use some size and athleticism. And then they need, I think they need a small ball option. There really wasn't a, you know, here's the thing. It's, you need a small ball center, but you're kind of tethered to Rudy because you got too many guys who are average defenders. If they don't have Rudy behind them, uh, teams are going to blow by him. Now the Clippers were decided, we had enough three-point shooters, we're going to attack Rudy in the paint. We are going to make him defend the paint, and then we're going to kick it out, and we'll have five guys on the perimeter, and we will get three-point shots. There aren't many teams that can do that. Not many teams have the roster the Clippers do. But it's for the Jazz, now that they've been to the mountaintop in the regular season, it's no longer about being the one seed. You want to be a high seed, and you want to get an easy first-round matchup. But... It's going to come down to, are there one or two teams that have matchups that are a major problem for the Jazz? That's going to be the whole deal going forward. They've broken out of that 4-5 slot, which they were trapped in not only in the Quinn Snyder era, but in the whole Carlos Boozer, Darren Williams era. They were trapped in the 4-5 slot. They haven't been a 1-2 or 3 seed, and they were the 1, obviously, but they hadn't even been a 2 or 3 seed since Stockton and Malone. So now that you've conquered that, and I think you will continue to, I don't know that they'll be the one seed again, but I would think they'd be the two or three. Now that you seem to have conquered that, it comes down to, are there one or two teams, and how do you match up with them? And how are you going to match up with the Clippers small ball? And the thing is, the league's trending that way. More teams are going to do it. Everybody saw the Clippers do it to you. And Denver's not a factor this year, but with Jokic, they can put five guys on the three-point line. If you have five guys on the three-point line and you guys have guys who are athletic and can drive the ball, what do the Jazz do? The Clippers were the problem this time, but it could be somebody else next time. So we talked about that with Andy Bailey. You want to hear that whole conversation, go to 1280thezone.com. 1280thezone.com. And there's a link up on Twitter already. Yuck's already tweeted it out. You also can just search on any podcast provider. Just search out DJ and PK in the morning, and you can get all of the show, hours, interviews, everything, all available. 
Uh, question of the day, do the Jazz need the small ball lineup? And overwhelmingly, you're in favor of it. It's not close. It's overwhelming. We also talked about John Stockton. He's got the video out there. It was a big deal this weekend. We didn't have time to talk about it yesterday with the playoff collapse. But what do you think of John Stockton now? You're all over the map on that. Uh, I think it's his opinion. He has the right to it. It doesn't change the player he was. Rick kind of straddling the, uh, the middle line on the road right there. Um, Trevor's all about it. I applaud him. It's time a few more athletes speak out about the COVID lunacy. And Andy's with him. I applaud him for being brave and speaking his mind. The mob mentality is crazy and people need to stand up. I love him now more than ever. Ryan's at the other end of the spectrum. My favorite player of all time, Dunn lost his damn mind. I think this goes, and it's politically speaking, it seems to go the opposite end of the spectrum, but it's, it goes all the way around and meets Donovan Mitchell. The spectrum boasts it's a circle, or it's a heart, whatever. An ellipsis, I don't know. Yuck. Hit him with some geometric terms. It comes down to everybody's going to have their opinion. You don't have to agree with it. If you're not looking to sports people for your opinions on politics and medicine and whatever else, I mean, in the case of Kendrick Perkins, I'm not even looking to a former basketball player for opinions on basketball. So fine, whatever. Do your thing. You got your right to speak out. Say what you want to say. In the case of John Stockton, say what you want to say and charge 70 bucks for the video. Not his video. Other people put it together. He's one of the many voices on it. I have to say... Uh, I think I don't agree with him off what I heard reported. I didn't pay the 70 bucks for the video, so I haven't seen everything he said, and I haven't seen everything he said or the context he said it in. And anybody who's done sports talk radio for a while has been burned by that. By the time the game of telephone is done, whatever people are mad at you for saying, you may or may not have actually said, or they only heard part of what you said. They didn't hear the context, the tone, the frame of reference, what triggered it. Oh, wait a minute. I actually agree with you. I know, but you didn't hear it. You got it second or third hand. And, man, PK's had that happen to him. Gordon and Jake have had it happen to him. Hans and Scotty. It's literally happened to everybody. So I'm just going to plead guilty. I didn't watch what John Stockton said. If he wants to be anti-vaccine, be anti-vaccine. I'm not. I'm pro-vaccine. I hope people get it. I think they need to get it. And I get everybody's not going to get it on the same timeline, and people will make up their mind when they make up their mind. I don't think yelling at them and ordering them to do it is, I think people are just going to dig their heels in more. In Utah, we're up to 64% of the adults are vaccinated. Saw that story yesterday. So that's a pretty current number. It might be a day or two of lag time, but that's, that's a pretty good ballpark. So I'm figuring about two-thirds of the people agree with, or one-third of the people agree with John Stockton, and two-thirds don't. He's got whatever hangups he's got. But I'm not looking to him for my scientific research and opinions. Although if I were putting that video together and I could get a celebrity of his stature to say something and get a bunch of free publicity for it, and it's a genius marketing move, whatever you think of the medicine, genius marketing move. Other stuff on the table today, the NCAA, we just had Jerry Brewer on. The Supreme Court is just rolling back the rules on amateurism. They only addressed a piece of the puzzle, but it was pretty sweeping there. And Jerry's whole point is the NCAA is either going to set the new rules or they're going to have them litigated. I think there's a chance they'll set new rules and have them litigated. We're just moving towards athletes or employees. 
And they are employees. They're basically hired and fired. They are wooed. They are signed. They sign a contract on the dotted line until they're run off because the contract isn't renewed. Go transfer. Or until they quit and they transfer. Or quit and turn pro. But they are pros. There's so much money being generated. How can we pretend there isn't all that money being generated? And what is their quote-unquote fair share? Whatever they can get. Because it's capitalism and it's America. What can you get? And the players are going to be getting more. Incrementally more. Keep pushing the envelope. Jerry Brewer's point was the NCAA needs to stop living in the past and establish the new rules and get on with it. Although I wouldn't rule those being challenged. As long as there are rules, I think the rules will be challenged. You get what you can get. Until the rule is you get what you can get, I think the rules will be challenged. Baseball, we did take a minute to celebrate the end of suffering, at least temporarily, for Arizona Diamondback fans. Their 17-game losing streak is over. It's over. They got to win. They beat the Brewers 5-1. to one. Got the worst record in Major League Baseball. Work on that number one pick and that lottery pick. I saw the lottery odds are out. 14% chance the Rockets get the number one pick. Same for the Magic. Lottery's going down tonight. Halftime of the game or pregame? I believe... 7 o'clock game, I would guess pregame. I'm going to guess pregame as well. Yeah. No, 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 it is pregame. 6 they go, o'clock? They do, like, thing like that. They, they do an hour-long special for a thing that lasts <laughs> five minutes. Well, maybe the only thing they can do in it that I would find interesting is the, the top guys in the draft. You've got freshmen. You've got uh, people signing with that G League team in a year when the G League was drastically different. The G League Ignite. Squad. And you've got the international guys. Correct. So there's a lot of guys I need to know more about. So anything that they could do, profiles of, hey, here are the projected lottery picks, I'm up for that. Interviewing a team about their needs, their needs are everything. They suck. That's why they're going to have a high lottery pick. I mean, the teams at 10, 12, and 14 may not suck. They may just be below average. But Orlando sucks. Houston completely blew it up. They suck. What are your needs? Everything? Well, the things we like need it all. A team like Oklahoma City, based on how Houston does. Oklahoma City's different. I want to know what they're going to do with all 27 of their draft picks. I was going to say, they could have two top five picks potentially out of tonight's lottery if everything goes according to... That could be great. Once upon a time, Oklahoma City hit on a quick series of draft picks yeah, three years and in a row. drafted the Brooklyn Nets. Mm-hmm. So... Sands, Russell Westbrook, but... It could have went two out of three. Just stay with me. Don't be such a literalist (laughs) in there. Kyrie's a good replacement for Russ. All right, there's what we've covered. That's the stuff that we've gotten to. Oh, and Phil Steele. Phil Steele out, and Yach's got the... You're going to tell us all about the preview tomorrow, Yach? Everything you've learned about college football? His Pac-12 predictions, Mm -hmm. I mean, just... The average Ute fan would have written this down. Uh, USC 1, Utah 2, Arizona State 3. UCLA 4, Colorado 5, Arizona 6. Arizona is a lock for 6. I can't believe anybody will pick Arizona for anything other than 6. If you're going to flip anything, it would be UCLA and Colorado or ASU and Utah. Probably more likely ASU and Utah. And the North was every bit as predictable. Washington 1, Oregon 2. Stanford 3. Stanford hasn't had a 10-win season in five years. They really had, they had five out of six. I mean, they had it going. So it's definitely slipped. But they're picked third in the north. And then Washington State four, Colorado five, and Oregon State six. So no real surprises there. 
I think we could have surprises in college football. We saw very little college football last year. Guys have had basically two years to develop. So there could be some players really, really taking off and getting a lot better. And also we got the transfer portal, so our teams suddenly have depth or lack depth. That could really show up late in the season in people's ability to either flourish in the face of injuries or get crushed by them. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, your feedback. Stay with us. Show Friday at the warehouse from 2 to 7. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! No PK today. I had to deliver. I had to deliver the... Boom! You got it. All right, time for your feedback. Should the Jazz make a commitment to having a small ball lineup with five perimeter shooters? Mo, it's time to lose Rudy. No team with him as a centerpiece will win a championship. Hell, he can't even get out of the second round. Brandon went right back at Mo. I heard Donovan and Conley wasn't the issue. Mo, no, every team, every team that ever plays Rudy in the playoffs will put five shooters out there and do exactly what the Clippers did. Brandon, you're blind if we don't think we win the series if Conley plays every game. All right, you guys are just shouting at each other, not acknowledging there's truth in both of these things. Uh, time to lose Rudy. Mo, I'm not with you on that. No chance. However, Every team that plays Rudy in the playoffs will put five shooters out there and do exactly what the Clippers did. That is absolutely the way. You're not going to attack Rudy strength on strength. Don't put a big guy out there and go right at him with strength. The Clippers tried it briefly. Why did they lose in those first two games? Too many Zubak minutes? It's the beauty of a playoff series. You know what the issues are, and you know what some of their counters are going to be. And you throw stuff against the wall and see what works. Because players have to execute it. And if, if, a, if a Paul George goes four for 20 in game one, you're going to lose the game. But over time, Paul George should be who he is, and he was. And you figure out, hey, we got a little edge here with small ball. Our small ball guys can execute this. It's not brain surgery. And you're right, Mo. More teams are going to put five shooters out there. More teams are constructing their lineups that way. The Nuggets already do it. The Lakers can do it. Steve Cleveland's been begging them to do it. The Clippers can do it. And here's the thing, and I keep mentioning Carl Anthony Towns. I know a lot of you are like, well, he's in Minnesota, so what? They can't make the playoffs. Yeah, that's been true. But as PK says, let's not focus on what has been. Let's focus on what will be. Let's look forward. Is Carl Anthony Towns staying in Minnesota? I don't think so. I think he's the next guy leveraged out of there. He's good, and they can't put a team around him. And you can say, oh, he's not that good, DJ, because they're not winning. All right, well, how big did Anthony Davis win in New Orleans? How big did Pau Gasol win in Memphis? Then you put him on the Lakers, championships. Davis got one and Gasol got two. Maybe Davis will get another. We'll see. And there are bound to be, somebody's trying to form a super team, and they got a bunch of names on a piece of paper, and Anthony Davis' name is on that list. Now, maybe they'll be able to get him, and maybe they won't. But 
Somebody out there is trying to form the next super team. You meant to say Carl Anthony Towns. I did, and I meant Carl. I did. I totally screwed that up. Thank you, Yuck. Yeah, Carl right. Anthony Towns' name is on that list. Let's be clear. Can Donovan pro- Mitchell's got him on the list. Get him to Utah. Now you're talking. Everybody's got everybody on a list. Batum gets bought out, and Rudy Gobert is like, I, gotta be a, I recruited him. i got to be a better recruiter. That quote's out there. So, yeah, there's the, what the Jazz face, they are going to face more of. Switching defenses have knocked him out four times in five years. How do you construct a roster to beat a switching defense? How do you get somebody else who can beat people off the dribble? But to Brandon's point, hey, Jazz win the series if Conley plays every game. If the Jazz are healthy, they win the series. I don't know that they need both Conley and Mitchell healthy. That'd be great, but who gets perfect health in a postseason? You got to accept some injury. Now, to have both of your starting guards hurt, that's a problem. But if you'd had one of them, could you have outscored the Clippers and won? The thing that's holding me back is the Jazz never looked good on the road in the Clippers series. Did they ever pass the eyeball test? Where you just looked at them, you saw the body language, you saw the look in the eye, and you thought, they've got it. They got this. I mean, there's that famous uh, clip from that Detroit regular season game where Donovan's screaming to the fan, you did this. Was there anything remotely resembling that? That level of confidence? Now they had home court advantage, and maybe they could have just, you know, home team wins all seven games, they win the series. Maybe they could have pulled that off and outscored them. And if they're healthy, you know, I'd, I'd consider that. It was in play. It was realistic. It was a possibility. But man, wouldn't we have all felt better about that series? And might the series have turned out differently if they had that look in their eye? And they never had it. They didn't have a game three. They didn't have a game four. They didn't have a game six. They were totally a different team at home. But they really struggled to defend at the end of that series. They didn't defend at game five at home very well. More feedback coming in. Joe and Bogey are slow. We need at least one 6'8 guy who can defend. Some of our key players are slow, old, or short. Can't stand Pat with this team and expect any different result. Joe, Mike, and Faves, one year older, does not help us. I don't think they'll stand Pat. I don't think they'll be mega moves, Curtis. I think we're still a year away from mega moves. When Dennis Lindsay chooses his words very carefully, and when he comes out and starts talking about how in years two and three in Houston, and in San Antonio and also in Utah, we've seen improvement as guys are in the system longer. I think we're going to see movement around the edges. Josh says, why not bring Rubio back? He can come off the bench and play when Conley gets hurt again, provided he's back and he plays defense. Rubio can't shoot. That's why. He'd give you a better defender. I'll give you that. But he can't shoot. If we've learned anything, you can't just trade. It's not important to have offense or defense. You need to have both. Now, they didn't have enough of both in the second round, but why'd they get out of the first round? Because they had both. They've been one-dimensional. They might have been in trouble in the first round again. And if they'd been one-dimensional, they wouldn't have had the one seed and they wouldn't have had Memphis. A lot of people are jumping on Rudy's got to punish the small ball lineup. Totally agree. He's got to finish through contact around the rim if he's guarded by someone who's 6'8 or shorter. I mean, you could argue I'd have been finished through contact if it's a 7-footer. But for the purposes of the small ball discussion, 
You get some 6'7 or 6'9 guy in there, finish through the contact, and get the dunk. I don't think he needs a bunch of post moves. He just needs to be able to get through the contact and finish. And even the little guys, when they get into his legs, it seems like that's the end of it. And he's got to be able to find a way to get around him, get by him, and score over him. All right, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Yaki, you, you already got somebody booked for tomorrow. Got a little bit of a surprise. Local guy in a new role. Got two people actually booked. It's one of our regulars, and yes, a surprise. All right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.